Hello everybody and welcome to the 48th episode of the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is your usual host, Corporal Hicks, or as I go by in the real world, Aaron Percival. And joining me today are fellow site staff and, well, usual cohorts on the podcast, Ridgetop. Hello again everyone. And Xenomorphin. Greetings! I keep collaring him for the script episodes. So uh, you'll, you'll probably hear him whenever we do one like this. It's Xenopedia editor and fellow AVP Galaxy community member. Who the fuck? Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining us again. And, well, thanks to everybody for joining again. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back again. No worries. And today we're doing, like I said, another script episode. And this one is one of the many, many, many ones that we can mine from Alien 3. And it is William Gibson's very very first draft of the film and it also happens to be the very first alien 3 script that was completed it was done off of off of a um short treatment by hill and guyler i think it was hill and guyler it was carol in there too it, it the brandywine producers basically they put together a treatment and they'd specifically gone for gibson because they'd been impressed with his work as a novelist he was probably one of the first sort of big novelists who was into um, cyberpunk as they call it you know very sort of influenced by Ridley's take on Blade Runner and the used sort of future that you, you, you saw in films like you know Star Wars and obviously the original Alien because when they actually approached him about doing Alien 3 he talked about how you know the visuals in the visual stories I think as he put it of um, you know the used aesthetics of Alien had sort of influenced his writing so, you know, things like why the stories about why they were wearing, you know, beat up trainers or why that spacesuit looks he used. You know, just little stuff like that, little added elements of world building. So they gave him a they gave him a treatment and he had never done script writing before. I think this was his first script and racing against the clock because I think I think there was like a, a writer's strike at the end of the year. We're talking 1987. Sort of had to race to put together this this first draft, which he did. He turned it in, and he did a second draft. Not a lot of people, not a lot of the sort of literature or the behind the scenes stuff really touches on it. And he finished that. I think it was January, so it must have it must have been a pretty fast turnaround. Actually, thinking about it, I should just check the date. Yeah, January, January the uh, the following year, nineteen eighty eight. He was working on it when Ridley when. They were trying to get Ridley Scott to actually direct Alien 3. So we're talking you know, very early game. And Rennie Harlan was sort of hired to work on it. And he, they want, uh, the producers wanted Harlan and Gibson to work together to refine, uh, refine the story. But at this point, Gibson had started getting other scripting projects and uh, moved on. So Harlan and the producers moved on to Eric Redd. And that's a completely other podcast for another time that will likely be hilarious because of how ridiculous that script is. <laughs> but Gibson's is fun in its completely own right. And like I said, we're going to be talking about the first draft, uh, not the second draft. Though there'll probably be some comparisons to the second draft. You know, I certainly plan on pointing out where Gibson fixed stuff in in his second attempt. Might be some interesting sort of stuff in here because, like I said, Ridley Scott was. They were in talks to try and get him on, get him aboard when Gibson was doing the writing. And there's certain elements of Gibson's script that seem to be resurfacing in Covenant. So, 
you know, whether that's intentional or not, we'll hopefully find out. So, should we do a quick sort of breakdown of the script before we go into a full, a quick synopsis before we go into a full breakdown? And I completely apologise now because I, I hate doing quick summaries, but basically it all sort of, it's like a space cold war, I guess, is what a lot of this comes down to. You've got yeah, the Whaling yutani uh, funded space station anchor point and you've got the uh, union of progressive peoples space station uh, rodina rodina however you want to pronounce that and they're, they're essentially space communists is, is what that comes down to and they've they've got access to alien dna from from the Salako. so they're each sort of trying to develop the the aliens and end up with different sort of breeds of it I mean, we'll get we'll get into it more specifically uh, as to ha- the hows and whys and everything like that. But basically, you get the traditional sort of aliens on on the uh, the Redina. You get this crazy new type of aliens on Anchor Point, and everything goes to shit. It's just them sort of surviving. Ripley's in a coma at this uh, for most of this script, and it's it's primarily about Hicks and Bishop as the main characters. Oh, and fun thing before I forget, this was originally conceived as a two-part kind of thing so they do gibson's alien 3 where it focused on on hicks and and bishop and then it move on to ripley coming back into it and her having a more significant role in alien 4 a fun comment actually that she made was that she felt she shouldn't have such a prominent role because uh, she thought it might be a detriment to the series remember that fox when you consider shoehorning <laughs> ripley into everything nowadays <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a shit quick summary of the script. Just a quick note here: if you, if you guys do want to uh, see a, a pretty detailed synopsis, there is one on Who the Fuck site, the uh, the Wikia. That's pretty well done. If you'd rather just see the story without reading the entire script, there it is. Yeah, thanks for the plug. I uh, we've actually got pages for all of these unmade Alien Three scripts. If uh, people want to find out a bit more about them, oh. thanks for reminding me. I, I I brushed up on there myself as well, <laughs> as well as reading the script actually. But they are fun. I, however awful pretty much all of these are, not all of them. Um, a lot of these scripts are they are quite fun to um to go through. Yeah, they're kind of all over the place. I mean, you have ones that they have good ideas, but other other ideas that probably wouldn't have resonated too well. And then you have some scripts that are just god awful, and others that probably would have made good stories but for whatever reason the studio didn't pursue them so before we crack on i was kind of wondering what you all thought of the script after you read it you know so you know brief opinions for me i mean it was a pretty mixed bag it was interesting how different it was from the alien 3 we ultimately got and the fact that there was still some sort of incident on the Salako, but you know none of our heroes really got injured the the Solaco still docked with this massive space station and they were all rescued mm. and the alien threat doesn't really resurface until probably at least halfway through the script. So I thought it was a very mixed bag for me. The The main things that were appealing about the script was the setting, uh, mainly this, the fact that it took place on this massive uh, space station, Anchor Point. And uh, some of the descriptions, I mean, I can kind of understand why Fox didn't go with the script just from a budget standpoint because 
some of the locations and descriptions of uh, the space station were just, you know, incredible. Like you had a big central area in a mall where there were bars and stuff and Hicks was kind of coming to his bearings again there. And you had um, a biodome with this naturalistic habitat. There was a hospital. There was um, this like they called it a fiber optic forest that was like the central brain of the whole station. Like there was countless locations in the script on the station that were all different and all unique. And and at some points they were like driving this, this uh, Jeep type vehicle around the station. So I could see that that would, especially in the nineties, that would have been a huge undertaking to build sets like that. Um, so that's mainly what I like the most about the script. And I did like the fact that Hicks was pretty much the main character here. Um, I think it was kind of refreshing to have Ripley in the background for at least mm. in the first draft for essentially the whole movie. And Newt did have a small role, but she did um, Hicks kind of sent her on her way to stay with her grandparents back on Earth. So I, th- I thought that was pretty cool as well. Uh, the main problems I had with the script was mainly its portrayal of the alien. Uh, it, Essentially, and I've mentioned this problem before when we've speculated about Covenant, is I don't want the aliens to be this arbitrary virus like in Resident Evil. That might work for Resident Evil, but it, for me personally, I don't think it sits well with the the integrity of, of Alien. And it, it got kind of arbitrary in this. You know, they, they find that uh, the alien has infected Bishop, right? Yeah. Uh, but like some of Bishop's remains or something. I don't think it's quite supposed to be an infection of Bishop as much as it somehow grows an egg from the goop that the that the queen somehow puts in him as she Deposited jabs him. Deposited spores in his android flesh, I guess, or something like that. And two of, of these scientists later make a comment like, oh, I thought androids couldn't get diseases or something like that. Um, so they start experimenting on these spores and they start growing aliens However, they become infected. There's like an outbreak in the lab. And one of them is essentially infected and just in front of everyone in a meeting, she turns into a xenomorph, like rips her face off and has this big like mutation, kind of like a werewolf, you know, Hmm. Um, that's that's what it seemed like to me. And so I was like, really, are are we really going this direction with it? Because it, it just seemed to take the aliens away from you know this this organism that was very unique and and built upon you know parasitic or, origins but it wasn't viral you know it wasn't a pathogen and now we're starting to see more of that with with covenant and prometheus so i really hope it well i know it will go in that direction but if it does i hope it's going to be handled well uh. it was interesting seeing all the different factions in the script like Wayland yutani really wasn't a big part of this you had uh the union of progressive peoples that was this like you said communist socialist nation state uh they had a smaller space station that was kind of in the same area and then you had i guess it was just general colonial administration owned the main station but you also had the marines um like the the high-ranking officers and the marines that wanted the alien for their own bioweapon purposes which i thought was weird i think it was i think it was more um yeah Wayland yutani that wanted wanted them for bioweapons the marines were just sort of like following orders oh okay because i thought they were they were talking about how Wayland was ahead of them and they had to play catch-up or something like that 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 was the uh the space communists the oh, progressive peoples they were they were 
worried that the Wailing Yutani block had already got the alien as a weapon, and they were they wanted to catch them up. That was why they were looking into it themselves. Oh, I see. But there was um, an interesting quote in the script. Just pull it up here. Okay, yeah. So there's a line in the script by Suslov that says, perhaps it is the fruit of some ancient experiment, a living artifact, the product of genetic engineering, a weapon. Perhaps we are looking at the end result of yet another arms race. And I'm like, that's Prometheus right uh, there. Uh. And so, and, and we're seeing that more with, uh, effectively they get infected with an airborne pathogen. And I mean, you see that in the trailer of Covenant. You see someone getting infected with an airborne pathogen and, you know, an alien creature coming out of them. And that's essentially the alien life cycle in the script. There's no traditional xenomorphs in the script. You do have mutated warriors that are essentially people transformed. You do have one scene with a chestburster, but it's really unexplained where six chestbursters just come out of a guy out of nowhere. And I mean, did did you guys see, was that explained in the script? Did I just miss it? Like... No, it just it just happens. There's there's where there's a couple actually. There's a there's one guy where it just happens to him, and I guess it's kind of left to your imagination how it got there. But then later on, someone gets bitten on the ankle by a warrior. Yeah, and, and then later on, just out of the six chestbursters erupt out of him for. It's just not explained <laughs> how that happened. It doesn't even fit with the life cycle that the script portrays before this, because there's no area yeah. infection. He literally just gets a chunk bit out of him, and then somehow there are chestbursters in him from that. It was just, yeah. it was really left field. The the second draft sort of fixed that a bit up because instead of, there, there was no chestburst, I don't think there was any chestburst in the second draft, was there? Other than the one that uh, comes out of the commando. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it changes that scene, so rather than random chestburst, he gets infected with the alien virus and changes himself. So it sort of fixes that. Yeah, but I mean, just kind of concluding my thoughts here, I... I'm glad it wasn't made. The station was the most appealing part. I mean, we still haven't had an alien movie that takes place on this massive space station. That's what was so cool about Alien Isolation was the Sevastopol. You know, it was this huge sprawling installation and you could explore it and it had all these different areas and you could tell it was very lived in mm. like artificial habitat in space. And, and that environment has always been alluded to in the, the extended universe, expanded universe, but we've never really seen it. Uh, other than Gateway Station, briefly, in uh, in the movies. So the setting was the most appealing part, but the story, I mean, it was cool to see Hicks in a prominent role, but all the other characters for me were just kind of throwaway side characters. There wasn't very much character development there. I mean, you had these two lab techs that it kind of focused on, but one of them, I mean, it focused on him plenty, but then he just kind of died. But there, there really wasn't no, there wasn't any um, strong character development, I thought. So for me, again, I'm just glad it wasn't made. Uh, it's, a, it's a good read. It's interesting, but I think it's it goes too far from Alien. It would have been way too jarring right after the success of Aliens. Okay. Xenomorphim? I'm mostly in agree with what Ridgetops just said. It It's when I've... So I waded through... I, I haven't gone through the second draft. I'm, I'm aware of the differences which do seem to make it more of an improvement i'll um i'll go through that in a few days but um as it as the first draft stood it kind of comes across like someone who's got hazy memories of alien and aliens um but somebody's just said here have some money write a sequel and they go oh what are aliens again oh they've got chest bursters they're a bit like werewolves yes let's go with that there are some nice little touches in it but um 
especially coming straight after aliens as it would have done um you you don't get that same kind of grounded vibe at all um there are some you know a few nice lines with especially there's some interesting parts with bishop and how he perceives what you know he's programmed to save life and especially human life and i think there's one part later on where a, a character's talked to him to him about that and he's he's basically suggesting mass suicide and he and someone says to bishop well you know aren't you programmed to save human life and he has this line i think it's like um I am, but I'm thinking of the long term, something like that. And I thought that was that was quite interesting. It gives you a little insight into a, what an AI would perceive. But yeah, it is a bit all over the place in terms of it doesn't really feel consistent. Keeping in mind it is just a first draft, but like there's where you have a um, new feature in it. Just, I think somebody, I think Hicks or somebody else calls her, oh, what happened to Newt? And there's a character in the same scene who corrects them and said oh rebecca and then newt basically gets um shipped off to earth and she gives ripley her address and it says newt jordan and it's <laughs> like little inconsistencies like that um and you have you do have this stuff where aliens have become viral werewolves and it just is i i think some of the reviews have mentioned it's it's like it feels like it's trying to be a crossover with between an alien film and the thing but it it, to me it just didn't work um i thought it was interesting having you know space communists because i mean as we've come into 2017 i mean that's kind of how the world is splitting up you got you know venezuela north korea and all the rest of it and they are kind of like going against capitalist west as it were so it's kind of foresightly in that respect i guess but um at the same time that also comes across as very cliched um i think gibson did say that he couldn't think of any sci-fi film that had communists in space but you look at how the original alien came across and that was all that was all totally immersed in those old 1950s b movies where it was about you know aliens were a, a an analogy for communism but as a whole yeah it's too much all over the but it's very very video gamey which is weird because it was written at that time when it was you know we, we had nintendo i guess at the time but it was it feels like a 1990s video game on console before they were kind of like around but um yeah it it does come across as a bit shallow there, there are some interesting ideas with it like they're treating the the alien dna as um an analogy to biological uh, well they're treating it as an analogy to nuclear weapons but in the in the story there is some dialogue where they say it where there are some um uh you know diplomatic treaties between the progressive peoples and whoever the west i guess is being represented at and they say ah oh, yeah well, well this covers the, the salako had restricted weapons as his, as his per agreed but that didn't cover biological weapons and that was a nice little interesting way of a character saying to another character we know what's going on here and the other character sort of just blanks it and say we deny this that was an interesting little touch 
but yet you do have a lot of stuff that just it just comes out of nowhere like at the start of it which i guess we will go through in a moment you you have two alien i think it's two aliens on the psycho and they just appear and they attack people and they they're killed off by flamethrowers but you're like where did they come from there's no way for them to come from anywhere and yet the script deals with it's meant to be little microscopic spores that can be grown into an egg but the egg itself has a you know it's a face hugger it needs a host and yet these are full-grown aliens right from the start in fairness, the second draft, as I understand it, does away with them, but you're still left when you're reading the first draft of, oh, okay, this is a dream sequence, but then it's not a dream sequence. That is literally how it is. It's, it's the Again, it feels like someone who has hazy memories of the first two films, but just goes, oh, let's throw some monsters at the screen. As Ridgetop was saying, that goes against the atmosphere of how an alien film should be. This feels more like a generic... 1950s creature feature b-movie with a big budget as opposed to remembering what made the alien films work and i think that is a big part of what's missing from here unfortunately so it's way bigger in scope than the alien 3 we got but whenever we talk about alien 3 a lot of people mention well while it's not a fan favorite it's probably one of the best versions out of a bad bunch we could have got and when you look at things like the first draft of this you're inclined to agree with that because you read it and you think oh the alien series could have turned into resident evil and it's it just you just think oh we've dodged a bullet with that oh well that's yet to be seen (laughs) yeah i um I forgot to mention Bishop. He he does come into play in this in the second half a lot more, and I, I thought his character was handled pretty well. What about you, Huda? The other two have summed it up pretty uh, pretty well, actually. I, I I'm not a fan of this script. To me, it's it's the worst kind of aliens excess. Like it's just more without really being thought out. Like you've got this space station with hundreds and hundreds of aliens on it. You've got, you know, huge shootouts between the Marines and the aliens, but none of it really has any finesse to it. It's kind of all just thrown at the screen. Um, are there, are there are bits I like, I, I, as, as the others have said, I quite like the cold war analogy that it has going on. It's a little bit dated, but some of the most interesting stuff I find is the way the the space communists are dealing some of their dialogue discussing the situation and their research on the aliens i find them to be some of the most interesting scenes in the script mm, yeah like it's, it's, they they they're the first ones to touch on the idea of the alien being a, a manufactured creation that was you know ancient biological weapon made by some other race for some ancient cold war i quite like that idea and this is the first time it's sort of i know ridley's mentioned it in behind the scenes stuff when he was making the first movie but this film kind of confirms it or at least implies that that might be the case but yeah on the whole it's, I, I really like the second draft. I like what he did. Uh, aside from fixing a lot of the problems, it was just, it was a more interesting, the, the, the overall story was broadly the same, but the excess was dialed right back and it's a much more claustrophobic sort of tight horror story. Mm. But the first draft I think is more, it, it's it's an interesting read rather than necessarily a good read. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. I, I for the most part I agree with with all of you guys. The first times I sort of read these scripts, it gave me 
a brand new appreciation for the Alien 3 we got. <laughs> I think a good way to describe it is a lot of the scripts have first draft syndrome, where it yeah. is just... Because they, they were first drafts, you can't fault them um, in that regard, but it was basically just like all the ideas stuck on the page. So when it got to... Not a lot of them got to be refined. This obviously did. We got a second draft, and like Huda was saying, you know, it's it's much more restrained. You know, there's it goes from hundreds of aliens to two three aliens and a lot of it is fixed i do recommend reading the second draft if if you do have time it i think it was your second favorite of the scripts wasn't it it's it's my first favorite of um of the alien three scripts is gibson's second yeah i i I think i still slightly prefer toys prison space station which i'm sure we'll cover at some point but the, the second draft is just it's so much more refined it does still have the thing mutation aliens that i don't like but in every other way, I think the second draft is a, a, a big improvement. Agreed. And they're, they're both available on, on the download section of the website for those of you who are curious enough. So, shall we crack on? Yep. So, the script starts with the Sulaku just flying through space. You know, you can see we get we get a couple of shots of everybody, everybody inside the cryotubes just having a nice nap while they're going home. But there's just you know, a strange shot of some weird condensation on Bishop's cryo chamber. Something weird's happening in there. And then you get you get a bit of computer spiel about how the uh, Sulaco's the Sulaco had breached the territory of of the Union of Progressive Peoples. Well, it's mentioned there's a malfunction in the navigation. Was that fixed in the second draft, or was that still? Completely no, they, they keep it the same, I think. Oh, because that was one of those parts where I thought, what? what what's happening here? Because it's not given a reason. I did think it was funny that it did know. <laughs> the, the, the AI was sort of like, uh-oh, it's, it's because this is broke. That That is why this has happened, because this is broke. And I'm telling yes. you now, <laughs> now that it's happened. Yeah. So that gave me a good chuckle. The, the political stuff is very heavy throughout this script. Um, you know, at, at the time of writing, I, th- I think the the whole West versus, you know, capitalist versus communism was fairly dated sort of theme to be playing upon. But it is it's just so in your face in this script about it. But, you know, if you're interested in that kind of political sort of development of the world, you know, there's plenty of that in here. And you get a bit of dialogue about diplomatic situations preventing things like the the nukes from being used which i thought well, that, that was kind of cool but basically this whole breach is sort of what kicks off the union of progressive people's side of the story because it gives them gives them a legitimate diplomatic reason to board the ship and that's when everything goes wrong so they're, they're all unnamed in the first draft a crew of generic sort of it describes them as you know the sort of eastern eastern kind of um, cultures um, Vietnamese and you know Asian kind of uh, Asian kind of characters, very sort of you know stereotypical communism kind of uh, kind of folk, and they sort of breach the sort of they do they breach the ship, and they eventually find. I suppose you get Bishop's legs here. Actually, they should have surely flown out into space. Yeah, one would think. Well, they didn't Colonial Marines, the game, have them just yeah, sitting there yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> His legs must be really heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they make a point of the material stuff later on, don't they, in this? That's true. Um, so they eventually sort of 
end up in the in the cryo chamber. And I like that <laughs> this is where we sort of find out that something slightly different kind of happening because they go up to bishops yeah, they, they, they're going through everybody's cryo tubes here and who's in there and they go specifically to bishops open it up because you know as you do because of all this condensation on it and they find an egg in bishops you know what all his wires and his dangly bits that are left from him being torn apart and there's just an egg in there you know at this point we're like the fuck's there an egg in there for but we'll find that out later. That's all sort of explained. And the instantaneous attack on the guy who was leading the uh, the group of commandos, the UPP commandos, and it gets him. The commandos kill... The other commandos kill the uh, guy who got face-hugged, and he gets shot off into space. So he's gone. There's no evidence of that. They retrieve the bishop, what's left of him. The upper half, yeah. And off they shoot, off they pop. So you know it's all sort of no-named people, and I didn't like that. I didn't, I didn't like that a lot of the uh, UPP characters went unnamed in in this draft. Everybody gets sort of named in a bit more development <laughs> in the second version, which I did like. But then we get to Anchor Point. Obviously, the, the UPP people, you know, they jump back in their ship and head off back to their own space station. And just let the uh, let the Sulaco fly on off on its way, because everybody's worried about diplomacy in this. You know, they don't want any, don't want to cause any issues. So they steal Bishop and off the trot, and we get our first sort of look at Anchor Point. And you know what? I have to. I say, you know, Ridgetop mentioned earlier that he really sort of liked the setting, and I have to say, I really do like some of the visuals of of Anchor Point because it sort it still feels sort of alien in that it's not. It's not finished, so you've got this visual of this huge space station in the middle of space where sections of it aren't complete and it's still a work in progress. You know, kind of kind of like Death Star 2, kind of uh, in Yeah, I was going to say that. It kind of <laughs> reminded me a lot of um, Tycho Station in the, I know we keep bringing up the Expanse series, but the station that's featured right now in, in the Expanse, it the descriptions were pretty similar. Like they have a central mall hub with like shops and stuff like that. And there was a bar where uh, one of the protagonists was hanging out and they had that a very similar scene in this script. So it made me think of uh, the expanse with that. The thing that got weirded me out slightly again in terms of the consistency is at this point in the script, it, it, puts it full on the description it says it's a Wayland yutani place and yet throughout it it's it's really hazy it's it's treating like Wayland yutani and the colonial marines as almost one and the same entity it's not really putting any kind of like dividing lines there and i i mean i could be mistaken but i don't think at any point in the script there that's really sorted out it's just kept as like they're, they're treated as one single entity almost there are a few um I remember a few moments where the two Wayland yutani representatives that show up in response to uh, the, the Sulaco arriving. They, I do remember there was a few incidents where they're bossing the senior Marine commander on the base around. I mean, like there's a few moments mm-hmm. where the the Wayland yutani guys are very like, you know, you report to us. This is what you will do. Yeah. We are funding this station. We own you. Like it was, it was, and whereas I think the Marine guys kind of had their own agenda, but they were very much under Wayland Utani's thumb. 
It does go, it goes against that thing in the APC where Ripley is saying it's in military jurisdiction now, and Burke has no comeback because she's just saying it's out of your hands, it's in military. Whereas this just does a complete 180 on that. Yeah. It's a very sort of recurring thing throughout Alien stuff is this implication that Whaler Dutani have got a fair degree of control over, over the Marines. I mean, I suppose it might go towards some of this notion of it being more corporations in charge in the future that sort of Ridley was trying to look out for Alien rather than, you know, it being any particular nations. But in in regards to the sort of Burke and Ripley kind of thing, you know, Burke was acting sort of on his own under the, as far as we know, under the table kind of thing, trying to weasel his own thing in. But the Weyland-Yutani characters that we're getting, this are supposedly, you know, sort of very high up in the, you know, the bioweapons division kind of thing. So they've got more more clout. If you look at Burke's card, it says he is the actual head of special projects. So Burke himself is quite high up. He in, in the film, he's kind of like treated as, you know, Ripley's guy at the inquest. But when you think of what he's meant to be in charge of, he's quite high up. And it's like that trope has come out in the, you know, the through the, the Dark Horse comments, comics in the 90s and that. But if this had been made as a film immediately following Aliens, it would have been a... It, it just feels like it would have jarred a bit with that bit of dialogue immediately from one film. Then you go into this film where, as who the fuck was saying, like the, the way Mutani guys are just bossing the Marine guys about. It's very... Mm. Like, one's immediately following the other. It's um, That's a bit jarring. Yeah, I can see what you mean in that regards. Yeah. I think Gibson does try and justify it by saying it's something like the company owns the station, mm. therefore what goes on on the station is their business. I think it's more that they want the aliens researched, whereas the Marine guy isn't necessarily happy about it happening with civilians around. Yeah. Uh, but they're basically saying, we own this station, it's our lab, you can't stop us. And speaking of the civilians, this is when we sort of get introduced to... I don't want to say he's a major player, but he's, he's, he's a pretty main character early on. And I suppose, you know, he plays a big part in kicking stuff off as well. And that is... Where's his name? Tully. Tully. There we, yeah, there we go. And he's one of the lab technicians that sort of work on, on the alien DNA later. And he gets very skittish. Hmm. He does. He's, he's, not a, he's not a happy chap. He's sort of introduced as being quite... Quite an angry person, <laughs> well, quite an annoyed person. They're interrupting him and him having fun with Jackson. Is it Jackson or Spence? It's Jackson in this one. Oh no, yeah, I'm getting mixed up here. Yeah, it's Spence that he's he's yeah. bumping uglies with. Spence shows a face late. Yeah, after she's gone. Yeah, my mistake. Sorry. Jackson is um, the sort of I guess the controller of the civilian controller of the station. You know, she's the one pushing all the buttons in the control room and she's got access to everything so what, what did we think of Tully did we like him yeah I, I didn't he, he sort of struck me a little bit as the film's Clemens like the guy who you're supposed to root for to start off with but then he gets taken out about halfway through mm. and then uh, you know it's sort of perhaps an attempt to show that all bets are off but, uh, the script didn't do a great job of developing him but that was kind of the impression I got that they were going for mm. So basically, he gets a phone call from Jackson telling him that the Sulaco's showing up and that he's got to has got to pop onto the ship with the rest of the biohazard crew. So you know they already know that stuff's cracking off here, and they also mention that military science, the weapons division, bioweapons division, is on the way. So they've presumably received like 
you know, the, the, the intel, the recordings, whatever, from from the events of Aliens. And that's when the ship docks. You find out that there's a ton of, like, Marines aboard. They're, they're all there in their spacesuits with the various scientists and stuff. They take, they bring the ship into the space station, don't they, in this draft? It implied that there's an internal hangar or something mm. that they bring it into. And they leave it outside mm. in the second, don't they? So there's yeah, yeah. It's only a superficial thing, but again, that's another thing I liked about the second draft was because it meant there was um, some degree of zero g and outside stuff, and I'm a sucker for mm. that kind of thing. And they end up going aboard with some jackass marines who are not very nice to Tully, and Tully's not happy, and blah 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 blah. blah. And he's there basically doing some collecting atmosphere samples, which really means nothing for the point of the story at this point, but. It's when they get to the um, the hypersleep chamber, the hypersleep vault, and they find, you know, one empty, and everybody else is happily in there. And then this is when we get these, um, out of nowhere, two aliens show up and just, you know, start massacring everybody, basically. And as it is in the first draft, yeah, that's massively annoying that you just get these random two aliens. It's as bad as the Magic X. Yeah, yeah, it's not explained at all. It is fixed in the second draft. Because, um, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, the, the lead commando gets face-hugged. Um, but instead of shooting him out into space, he actually runs off into the ship. And he's the source of one alien. There's only one of the aliens at this uh, on the Sulaco in the second draft. So that's tied it up quite well. But mm. something I did really like here was that they had the aliens using the tails. You know, it's not something you got a great deal of, you know, it's not something that they really did in the other films. So that I quite liked. Well, it's weird that in, in the Alien 3 film we actually got, you have a lot of the alien use it. It's like whipping its, it in front of itself to sort of fence Ripley off into that backer away, isn't it? So it's mm. whichever version of Alien 3 we got would have been... <laughs> like, it, it was... In Aliens, you kind of got that. It was more of the Queen doing it. But in Alien 3 is when you, we really got... Um, a visual of the alien using its tail as a kind of like a weaponized tool. And here, they, they full-on impale somebody, you know, like one of the death scenes from Isolation or from AVP 2010. Mm. So that I, I really liked that. that. That was something that just tickled me. There's some nice visuals as well in this scene with, uh, in the middle of the, the chaos, one of the Marines fires off his flamethrower and it starts melting ripley's tube while she's in it and she's sort of coming round because the tube's on fire the the equipment's you know toasted and mm. she's sort of in there and there's aliens outside there's fire her tubes melting while she's in it and there's just this image of her just going mental inside it as you know she's sort of just been jolted awake and is in the middle of this carnage and there's this look of terror on her face as she's pounding at the glass inside her tube i thought that was quite a neat visual yeah that could have been great i can see weaver pulling that off quite nicely Hmm. Yeah, that's the sole thing she would have been paid for in this <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, well, she gets a bit of dialogue there. No. <laughs> that was her Darth Vader scene. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're killed, aren't they, at this point? The two aliens, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's it for traditional aliens aboard Anchor Point. The magic the magic ones are gone. Hmm. I think it moves at quite a brisk pace, doesn't it, this, uh, this script, actually? Because now we're now we're aboard Anchor Point in in the med lab, and Hicks is awake and doesn't seem to have been told anything. Well, this is essentially where the film series gets the baton passed to Hicks. Hicks yeah. is basically the lead in this film. So yeah, we've already met Spence, and she's back here, and 
like uh, like Xenomorphin says, it's when it becomes Hicks's Hicks's show. So we're starting to learn a bit more about Spence. You know, they're sort of introducing themselves and having a having a bit of a chat. Hicks is trying to figure out where you know where is everybody, and Spence can't tell him because there's all this you know all the secret bollocks going off. <laughs> As there is. That's, that encapsulates the script as a whole. I think I think they start to you know is it is it in the first draft that they sort of get very Hicks and Spence get sort of quite close. Was that in the second one? It's it's platonic, but there is a bond between them. Yeah, mm. I don't remember there being anything more than that suggested, but I could be misremembering. So they're sort of you know starting to get along because it's around this point the new runs in and she's sort of escaped whoever's supposed to be looking after her that was quite nice actually because it's explained that she gets away by biting the guy just yeah. like she did to hicks yeah. and i thought that that was yeah. one of the nicer touches of the script and hicks is pretty much just straight up and he's ready to knock this guy out <laughs> spence is sort of you know she's got hicks's back and it's okay nuke can come in here and blah 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 and this sort of like this is when we find out what's happened to ripley because Newt wants to know what's what's cracking off and where everybody is. And we find out that she's in a coma. Wasn't one of the other scripts where they were on about like a sort of sleeping Snow White kind of thing? Was that not uh, yeah, Foster it, it talking was, about the novel? No, there was, there was one of them where it was meant to be um, Ripley was an analogy of Snow White. And they even had a cryo tube that was meant to be see-through, like the Snow White coffin yeah were we just thinking some fun art here no that what that was one of the alien three concepts i remember it being talked about on the blu-ray the the dvd actually yeah i forget which one but there there was one of those that was um one of the concepts yeah sorry it was just this just this imagery of rippling the tube there that made me think about it we find out obviously that whole thing's fucked her over and I guess the implication is they've put her in medical coma, whatever, to sort of help her get through it. Yeah, it's something to do with the the tube getting trashed has mm. has messed her up, and she's out for the count. Yeah, Spence sort of explains to Newt that you know sometimes people need to sleep to get over things. <laughs> that combined with the fact she's been in one for full fifty-seven years already yeah. prior to aliens, <laughs> she doesn't have much luck with cryosleep. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess if you're waking up abruptly in cryosleep, then it yeah. wrecks havoc on the body or something. Well, this, you sort of get a hint of that in the finished Alien 3 as well, don't you? Yeah, they think her gestation pains are a result of the fact she got woke up so quick. Mm. I suppose, you know, having your tube flooded isn't a great way to uh, wake up. Or in this case, having it flamethrowered. And this is when we move on to the interesting stuff now. Is when we move on to our first look at um, Redina. Don't get a massive sort of visual uh, description of it. It's literally just smaller than Anchor Point. But inside it's when they sort of get into... I say interesting. I, I guess it's stuff that some of you guys won't really like. Because it's, it's when they start doing, you know, the whole alien DNA kind of thing. But it's just a quick scene where they've got Bishop sort of mounted. And they're downloading all his, all his data on, on the alien. They don't bother taking the egg, do they? They just take his torso and leave yeah. the egg behind. Actually, is the egg even mentioned? No, I think the idea is once that guy gets the face hugger on, they just grab Bishop and get the hell out of there. I don't think they're they're sticking around to pick up the thing that's just, mm. you know, done this to their boss. Like I think they just, you know, grab what they can and go. But yeah, the, it, it's never mentioned what happens to the egg when once it gets to anchor point because it's not mentioned in the scene where they go no. aboard. 
So we've got a dis- disappearing egg in this case. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lots of lots of magic going off around Alien. Alien 3. You don't get a great deal here. Um, it's just them showing them downloading all the info. And you do get the only thing that this film sort of gives towards the finished Alien 3. And that is an ID marker like a supermarket barcode on the back of this guy's head. Is this the point where they have the holographic face hugger and alien? Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm. Because it's when they, uh, they show the facehugger and she's basically sort of saying, yeah, that's what attacked um, Jim, Colonel Jim. Where does it whatever. come from again? Is that from Bishop? Or... Yeah, they downloaded it, it from Bishop. Yeah, okay. It's implied it's from what he's seen while he was on LV426. He's obviously right. recorded this. And... Which I, I didn't have a problem with. I, I thought that made sense. Yeah. And then they bring up the a projection of the full-grown alien and... Everybody's pretty horrified, I guess, or curious. And then we move back to we move back to Anchor Point and, and the Sulaco. And this is when we got the scene that somebody mentioned earlier about the um, androids. Since when do androids get diseases? Because this is when they find the the alien genetic material, and it's on Bishop's legs. It's just two generic um, technicians just working on Bishop, and they find this weird, weird sort of dark, dark. Globules, Dark they call globules, it. yeah. It's labelled up. It's number number seventeen. It's quite special. And again, we move on. It's this brisk pace, you know. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of generic nameless people that we just keep moving from, moving from, and keeping it going. And this is when we get introduced to the Marine Commander aboard Anchor Point, Colonel Rossetti, who is not a Marine in the second draft, is he? They stripped the Marines out of the second draft. Yeah, no, you might be right. Yeah, he's just the uh, the admin, the guy in charge, the administrator. Yeah, and there's a lot of this sort of so many sets come up after this point as well. Like Ridgetop was saying, you know, we we're shown this sort of Pentagon style office where he's introduced to where he's introduced to um, the military science people, the weapons division people, Wells and Fox. Rossetti's he's not happy. He's not happy at this point to have these people intrude him. How did you feel about Wells and Fox? How, how did they come across to you guys? They're a bit like they they get taken out very early in this. They felt a bit superfluous. I prefer it in the second draft where one of them lives and actually goes on to be more of a character in the rest of the script. Whereas in this, they kind of show up, shout at Rossetti saying, no, we are going to research this alien stuff. And then she's one of the first to be infected. And then she immediately kills the other guy the moment she pops out. So it, it felt like they were done away with a little bit, a little bit quick. Like you probably could have just got rid of them altogether and just had it done by communication rather than having these two random characters that are then taken out fairly fairly pronto. They're quite 2D villain-esque, I think, at this point as well, aren't they? Yeah. It was interesting how they talked about the alien being researched under the guise of like cancer research or whatever, because they I guess they needed to have a scapegoat because the bioweapons research was in violation of some regulation. Mm, yeah. Is that at this point? Yeah, there's there's a lot of dial there's a lot of dialogue over it, isn't there here? Yeah, I thought that's yeah. what those two characters were. Yeah, I think discussing. it is in this scene, yeah. I didn't really have much of an emotional reaction to any of the original characters in this. They all it, the whole it kinda of like felt generic. I never really felt invested in any of the characters in this. The new ones. there's too many as well at this point. Yeah. I think when when he restricts it down a bit more, it's it's actually it was easier to get get involved with them, mm-hmm. and we get a lot of, we get a lot of sort of 
I suppose world building at this point, don't we? You know, we're we're learning more about sort of the politics of of what they're doing, and because there's like a big emphasis on you know on civilians as well, and boarding operations and diplomacy and blah 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 blah. And this is when the crew find out. I don't know why they wouldn't know from Hicks already, but um, Wells, one of the bioweapons guys, tells um, tells the colonel that. The ship was boarded and they lost uh, they lost a person. Bishop was taken. I, th- I think actually, having said that, I think Hicks does say where's Bishop um, in the earlier scene when he's reunited with Newt and uh, Spence is like who? You know, they have no no idea who he's talking about because obviously he's gone. So Hicks obviously knows he's missing but doesn't know. I think he asks Zetti as well when they finally meet. Yeah, you know, one of the, the first things he says is. Yeah, what happened to Bishop? I, find, I also find it interesting that later on, when there's this, there's a scene later on where they're meeting the um, UPP representative, they call Bishop a citizen, and the other guy calls him property, and he says, "No, you've got one of our citizens hostage." And it's um, it's it's an interesting argument, although I think as an audience member, I would have been gone going like yeah okay bishop can talk and that but he would have been classed as a you know he's a synthetic he's just kind of he's not got legal rights or anything but it it was an interesting way of referring to bishop as it infers that synthetics have some of them can have a legal status of of a citizen yeah it was the the upp that was referring to him as the machine right yeah Yeah. and the uh the colony director or one of the the higher-ups that was referring to him as the, the citizen. So I suppose it, it's another one of those ways to differentiate the differences between, you know, the UPP and Wayland yutani and, you know, again, on-the-nose kind of thing about these guys being the evil space commies. <laughs> well, I think it was around... I think this was, what, 88, 87? Yeah, and weren't the Star Trek films around that time trying to do a similar thing with the Klingons. They were really trying to, on the nose, push them as these are space communists as well in a lot of their um, their big screen stuff. No, that was more on the TV show. Um, and the original TV show was when they were very space commie. At this point, we'd... I remember it on the on the big screen. Yeah, when, they were when, when the Klingons did... as space communists. When did Undiscovered Country come out? Because that's basically yeah. the fall um... of the Berlin Wall in space. Yeah. Is it early 90s? Yeah. But it's it's very on the nose. The Klingons are the Russians. The, yeah. the Starfleet is the which West. is ironic because in the TV series it was meant to be no. I, th- I think it was the, the Romulans were the Chinese and the the but they made the Klingon yeah the Klingons were always Russian yeah but they they were making it just as on the nose in the big screen adventures too around the time this was being written. So it might have been that Gibson was taking some cues from some of that possibly. 91 was when Undiscovered Country came out. Okay, so it was quite a few years after this. Then. Mm. Well, four okay. years. It was a good movie. It's one of my favourite Star Trek ones. Yeah, same. You know. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the TV series, but I quite like that film, actually. Every every even-numbered film. I thought that had gone out the window now. <laughs> yeah, true. 11, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think it was probably... It was probably out of the public mind by this point, surely. The late 80s. Uh, no, well, the, the Cold War was didn't still come down. Yeah, when mm. did the wall come down? Was that 90? That was the early 90s, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was. It was I mean, 89 it, or. It was all winding down at that point. 
Well, I, I, I do know that 87 is the year Russia invaded Afghanistan. So the Cold War was definitely still going on then because that caused yeah, the, the Cold War was still very much a, a thing in the news because, it yeah. was, you know, we, we ascent in pop culture. We essentially went from Cold War to, oh, the Cold War's over. Let's make all the all the Hollywood villains just suddenly became terrorists. And then 9-11 happened and, and Hollywood was like, oh, is it too politically incorrect to now still do the terrorist thing or what but up to at this point hollywood was basically pushed communism as the the major enemy especially in science fiction though because it was a lot of science fiction was using aliens and robots and stuff as you know analogies for communism but um yeah in, it, hollywood in general was pretty much still having communists as the villains because i mean you got to remember this was the 80s this was like you know the a team when every, yeah. every episode was like oh we've got a, a communist thing we better get those guys but um, yeah hollywood was pretty much pushing communism as the main thing though so i think it would have been very much in um uh, you know the popular consciousness yeah um i think this film this script takes a bit of a superficial tone on the same subject matter but yeah in terms of would it have been winding down i don't think so i think in terms of hollywood films that would have still been the acceptable thing to do before they pushed most of the villains into just terrorist organizations it looks like uh, the cold war ended 91 so that's obviously i mean you look again you look at the james bond films okay it was usually like blofeld and that but they're they often mixed it in with you know, you know the Russians or whatever. It's it's still going to be the communists. Mm. And the Russians were definitely the bad guy in the Bond film from '87 because mm. I always remember that one. That's my favourite. So I know they go to Afghanistan in that. Oh, fair enough. Uh, you see, I, 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 <laughs> well, I, obviously I wasn't I wasn't around for that. So no, we were. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always I always wondered. Obviously, reading it later on, it was very like well. Yeah, I get what you're trying to do, but this isn't particularly effective to me, kind of thing. But yeah, but it's, it, back then, I think if it had been released at that time, like soon after Aliens, I think the choice of communists in space, I, I don't think it would have been as out of the ordinary as it comes across in really, here, because yeah. it does come across communists in space. But at the time, I think it would have been like people would have looked at it and gone, oh, yeah, it's another film with communists, and they, they would have been fine with it. The station was smaller, but I guess they were still a, a powerful force because they did have a battleship come in later. Mm, yeah, nuked the thing, didn't they? Mm. How well do you think this would have gone on from Aliens? Because it suddenly becomes very sort of... It, it is very heavy on the politics, isn't it, this, this script? I think it's it weirdly it kind of like gives more of a justification for the colonial marines existing because in aliens you 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 know you just go along with it you think okay there's a military but you don't know you know the troops are clearly fed up they want a as they term it a a, a straight up firefight sort of thing so they there is military action going on but you don't get a sense against like who are they typically being trained to go up against whereas this one would have given more of a, a grounding in retrospect when you went to like rewatch aliens you would have gone oh yeah those guys are clearly in te- thinking that they they might get lucky and go off against um, the upp but 
as I said, I, I think it's the way it's it's done is a bit superficial. I, I think it would have taken, if not the second draft, then third or fourth maybe to make them more less, you know, sci-fi villainy. Like you, you would have wanted like a film that does it right. Um, let me think. Like like the hint, the hunt for Red October that does it right, as opposed to you know here where it's like as you say they but most of them don't even get a name in it that's fair enough and also you know showing them have an enemy also gives them a reason to want this new sort of weapon i guess because otherwise well, just... that is that is their justification for it they mm. think they found this on a on a, a a western ship they think oh the west have got to be looking into this it's on the ship we need it too we've got to we've got to get on this we've got to start researching it ourselves that's literally how they justify their fiddling with the alien in this script yeah it that whole thing is an analogy for an arms race although i do remember reading this and thinking to myself they're overlooking the fact that they opened up a you know a cryo tube and there was a busted robot inside and i think there are some scenes before that where they're like looking at um like a dropship with some damage on it and they're saying oh this is they they've seen some some action or something so i think that would have needed to be rectified a bit otherwise you're thinking they're overlooking the fact this is obviously accidental it's not like they've they've got a a quarantine laboratory on the ship they, they they've opened up a crochet where this stuff shouldn't be sort of thing but yeah the as a whole it's clearly i mean right at the end it's, it's clearly meant to be uh, like an analogy for the nuclear arms race but right at the very end of this script you have them go and now it's we hope that UPP and the western powers we're all gonna unite and we're gonna go after the aliens homeworld but i'm thinking Guys, you've got spaceships. It's not like the aliens are going to come after us. So I, I think that that felt like, as you say, with the politics being forced on the viewer a bit, I think right at the end of the script, yeah, that feels a bit too what? But in terms of the them treating this, um, this genetic, well, it becomes a, a weapon, a bioweapon, I suppose, but treating it as a, a nuclear arms thing, it's it's an interesting way of, having it that like one side assumes the other is nefarious and then the other side's going oh wait well they're doing it we'd better do it and that was very much cold war mentality you had you, with the um oh, i forget what it was called but it, it it was like you know that the kennedy was saying oh well you know there's a um like a, a deficit in we, they the soviets have so many nuclear missiles we'd better get more missiles and then the soviets were like wow the, the west has got we've got a deficit with their nuclear it was clearly that kind of thing being put into the you know the the subtext of this script mm. not quite so subtext though was it but yeah no but i mean it, it wasn't what the the story was about you know killing aliens but in terms of the plot device i, suppose, yeah. I should have said yeah yeah, well, I mean, I think the fact that there are different human factions colonizing space is an interesting concept in the Alien universe. I mean, we kind of even see that with the, the mm. Alien 3 that we did end up getting. But in this iteration, it did feel a bit too on the nose. Like, um, I don't know, it's, it seemed like that faction was too powerful with, you know, all the other primary players in the Alien universe that and any insurrection like that if it was a serious threat and they had their own battle cruisers and stuff they would have been dealt with a while ago at least for me that's that's what i think but 
Well, it's meant to be in in a Cold War situation. So it's like today we've maybe like how the Chinese are in the South the South China Sea. They've got a bit. They're they're actually cranking out like they're meant to have like three aircraft carriers in um, five years down the line, I think. But um, that's that I didn't get it. Get the sense that you know the UPP would have been stomped. I I got the sense this was a Cold War situation. Mm. Well, yeah, because the, the they made a point of really sort of reiterating how they didn't want to call Yeah, they have the incident. treaties and such, yeah. But it, it was nice to have that sort of world building in there, I guess, as well. Mm. And we do actually get to see the UPP again uh, in Aliens Infestation, actually. They do uh, they do show up as the bad guys in, in the DS game, which was cool. Mm. So back to the script, where are we now? Hicks is having a briefing with... Uh, Hicks meets Rosetti. And Trent and Schumann are were other anchor point top staff. One of these guys is, is the diplomatic officer. So it's basically just a bit of spiel about what happened. Hicks asks where's Bishop and he gets lots of sort of run around. And they start to talk about the, the alien. There's not a great deal of interesting stuff happening here, is there really? Just more sort of reinforcement of the political situation of what's going off. Well, we, we find out uh, that Tully who was the guy who went aboard the ship in the first place and was taking the samples when the aliens tore those marines out. We find out that he's been slapped with uh, a big confidentiality gag already. Yeah, he's like, you know, if I talk about this, I'm disappearing, you know, and uh, obviously he's he sort of, he's realised that he's in way over his head and he uh, he sort of clandestinely agrees to meet Spence to uh, discuss the situation. Uh, that's a bit later on though, isn't it? Yeah, that's later on. Oh, jumping ahead of myself, my bad. Think you got the stuff about the UPP talking about the um, the actual alien DNA itself. That's later on as well. Yeah, at this point in the script, it's, it's when it starts sort of kicks in the whole um, the arms race kind of thing. So they they know that they've got Bishop and they know that they've got information access to the information about the alien. Because as somebody points out here, you know, Bishop was designed for scientific observation, a hyperdown model, A5, a walking data bank. So you know, it's it's sort of building up to that justification of, of them playing with with the aliens later on. And it moves to Ridgetop's, you know, happy place, the mall, and the uh, big promenade here. And that's when we go to Tully. Oh yeah, yeah. So it is talking to Spence here. Yeah, sorry about it. you were right. And saying how we can't and we can't talk about it. And he agrees to tell Spence sometime later what's happened because Tully is just he's not happy at this point is he and then we go to where it all happens we start to go to the tissue lab I suppose they don't really talk about what they do on Anchor Point do they there's lots of science stuff going off <laughs> but yeah, there's no there's not a great deal of uh, explanation of as to what they're doing well, you do get, you do keep jumping between the um, the different factions and what they're doing. Yeah. I suppose from the writer's point of view, if he does, he goes into it with the UPP. He goes back to the one that he might think, oh, well, there's no point in basically going over the same ground. Uh-huh. So it's just it's just a lot of introduction and stuff at this point. So we, we exposition. Yeah, they're establishing the locations that are going to come into play quite a lot later on. So you know we've we've seen them all. We've seen the bar. Uh, we see the um, the lab. Hicks gets a job. <laughs> uh, we see the eco module, which actually reminded me of um, Berserker. It was Berserker, wasn't it? Where they they had the big space station where they had um, like a module on the bottom of it that was all see through, and it was all sort of like a mini jungle kind of thing. And they see it as they're flying towards towards the space station. 
if anybody else remembers that. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it ever features in the comic, but they definitely go into it in the novel. They fight a few aliens inside it. I'm sure it does. I'm going to have to check that later now. So that, it, it reminded me of it. And then this is when we find out what's happening to, um, to Newt, if I do believe. Yeah. So we find out that Hicks is sending Newt back on the ship, on the Sulaco, because apparently that's just been sent on its way. Well, I think it does explain they've decontaminated it. Yeah, probably. I just I would have thought it uh, they'd have kept it with them, but yeah, it's fine. It's just you know it's dealing with that loose end of Newt being around because we don't want to have another have to rescue the. Um, yeah, it doesn't Newt screaming. get sent back on the Solico? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like she comes off and then she goes to run a car. And this when you get this uh, little thing about uh, Newt leaving Ripley her address and her map. Yeah. Which I thought was it was kind of cute for their sort of relationship that had been sort of built up, which was nice. I, I liked that. And then off she pops. She's gone. Back to Oregon. Uh, actually, uh, something we did miss out happens just before we send Newt away. Um, it's the scene where they, they're fiddling around with the alien gloop that they've got. And they zoom in on it, and it's described as looking like the interior of the derelict from Alien at a, at a microscopic level. Uh, yeah. I thought that was quite a neat little touch. Yeah, I like that as well. It's a cool sort of visual callback. I can't believe I missed that. Because yeah, they make a point of it being sample 17, don't they? Yeah. yeah. See, I like that. I thought I thought that was cool. It's only a little thing, but it was still a very cool sort of uh, shout back. So where are we now? So we jump back to we jump back to Redina after after uh, Newt is sent on her way. This is where we get a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of the spiel. Oh, one of them got a name. The leader's name was uh, Lenko, apparently. Oh, Lenko, yeah, I remember that. They give retroactive names. You yeah. get a name after you died in the UPUP. That's how communists work. <laughs> this is this is when we get a lot of the dialogue about the alien spores and being a weapon and stuff. So uh, they they're talking about cloning cloning the alien spores i i don't i don't know why but i have a thing against the word spores it just sounds it doesn't sound right for for the aliens well yeah agreed it kind of goes back to the the whole pathogen thing you know that's what spores are i mean they're just an organism that delivers um viral infection well i think it's because we you we're part of it's probably because you remember back in Aliens and that, you know, the briefing scene where they, they talk about like the embryonic, the embryo, you're implanted with an embryo. And then here they're, they're talking more often not about spores. So there is that kind of lingual difference. I think it would have just been nice if there would just been like DNA or genetic material or whatever. It just It's, it's a petty, petty little issue, but it just it annoyed me. Well, get ready for more with Covenant. Mm. <laughs> Well, I just hope they don't call them... Sp- well, actually, we don't know how they'll function in it. Looks they'll, like they'll they're going, in it. Yeah. To be fair, the thing, it, the thing it comes out of in the Covenant trailer literally looks like a mushroom, so it's probably going to be a spore. Yeah, fungal. But we also get talk of programming these quotation marks, machines for use as weapons. So this is... Is this when they talk about it being the end of... the end result of another Cold War? Um, I think that might be a little bit later on when they're looking at it. I think this is the discussion where the UPP justify their research on the aliens. It is. So it's, it's a lot of politics in this, a lot of diplomacy. And again, they're going the on s- about... The, the, the they story ha- basically arises out of they're both paranoid. 
and we get a lot of it, a lot of it in the setup. So at this point, the intelligence officer, he, he doesn't get a name either. Uh, our sources in the corporationistic infrastructure are aware of the existence of a special project within Wayland yutanis weapon division. We've been able to penetrate their security. And they sort of speculate that this is what the um, the project is. And you get a bit more spiel about how their the UPP's technology is, is lagging behind and they've got to catch up and blah, 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 blah. So a lot of politics. Before we move back to the tissue lab, and they start to talk more about the the alien DNA. This is yeah, this is where we first start to to see that it can alter or assimilate human DNA, which obviously sets the stage for this new form of alien that comes up in the script. This is at a genetic level. This is the DNA. This isn't like any sort of face augury type thing. No, this is literally modifying, assimilating, and modifying other DNA. Doesn't the DNA look like, like they make a comment about it looks machine-like or something? I remember there being some reference to it looking evil. It looks like blocks or something, and they they comment about it looks. Yeah, the the alien genetic material looks like a cubist's vision of an Art Deco staircase. Yeah, <laughs> it's an whatever that means. It. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's it's asymmetrical se- a- the asymmetrical segments glowing day glow green and purple. Just that, so at their heart, at their heart, an alien is basically a disco <laughs> <laughs> made of glow sticks. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's like in their head they're just doing disco tunes. <laughs> and they make a point of it being actually quite quicker assimilation, don't they? And the thing. The alien form makes contact with the human DNA. The transformation is shockingly swift, but its stages can still be followed. The thing seems to pull itself into and through the coils. For an instant, the two are meshed, locked, and then the final stage, a new shape glows a hybrid. The green and red beads have been altered beyond recognition. And um, Fox, one of the um, the, the Wayland Jutani special weapons, she's the lady, isn't she? Yeah, the, the, the female character. She's like, how long did that take? And that... That was it. You were watching it in real time. That whole scene where it talks about the uh, the DNA assimilating the human DNA that really reminded me of the exact same scene in the thing where the, thing, the yeah. Uh, yeah where you see the the thing cells overtaking the human cells on the computer screen while the uh, the scientist guy is watching it. It's, it plays out exactly the same. Mm. Yeah. Which I didn't quite get because we as viewers would have known. We're thinking, well. Alien DNA, you know, it creates, and it's not de- trying to create an alien-human hybrid. So I, I didn't get what that was trying to. I could have understood it if it was like their modified version of the alien DNA. But the, you know, the alien DNA in itself doesn't, you know, it's not meant to work like they're just meant to create an embryo. And um, I didn't quite understand what that, what was going on in that. Yeah, they haven't played with it yet, have they? I mean, the, no. the scripts make a point of how easy the alien DNA is to sort of alter. So, yeah. which, which results in them having slightly different variants of the alien on, on Anchor Point and a different variant of the alien on, on Redina. But no, at, at that point, you don't really get that. No. I don't think the Anchor Point people do modify it. I know that the... Because later on, it says that the, the communists have tampered with it. And that's why the aliens there are described as bigger, meaner. They can reproduce faster. But it never mentions whether the anchor point lot have, have tampered with it in the same way. It kind of makes it sound like this is just something the alien can do straight out of right. the bag. 
Hmm. Yeah. This this was a theme that was carried on quite a lot through the um, the early scripts, wasn't it? I mean, um, Eric Reds did it. Oh, Eric Red turns this shit up to eleven. <laughs> I think I think that's putting it mildly. Jesus Christ! Did he, did he say that he did that script as a joke? It wasn't meant to be. Taken no, he he said that he was like had so little time to do it, and they were throwing so many demands at him that he wrote oh, it, and okay. even he acknowledged it was a, a, a sack of shit. Mm. Yeah, there's actually a quote for him literally saying that it's a terrible yeah. script. But um, yeah, like it, no. no, not at all. <laughs> so following that, we move on to Hicks getting his job. He's apparently just working down in the machine shop doing. Uh, mechanic work i guess was there a reason why he didn't just get shipped off back to like colonial marine hq or he's just like i think he was waiting for ripley to wake up oh but yeah, ripley, I'm, I'm ripley gets sure sent off says. though doesn't she that, that's that's later on he sends her off to get her away from the carnage that's going on but yeah i don't know if it's ever said why he doesn't leave as well because he is a colonial marine, it's not like he needs a second job. They can't be paying. It's, it's not like he has a choice either. He's a marine. No, if they, they exactly. could just say you're going home. Report back to but but this is this is again they're treating Wayland Utani and colonial marines as like the one thing. He's back at a Wayland Utani place, so oh well, I better become a mechanic then. The only thing I can think of is if do the uh, Fox and Wells do they imply that they want to keep him around to make sure he keeps them? The only thing I can think. I know they talk about, you know, he. they need to make sure he doesn't tell anyone about what's going on. He could be on leave just pending the investigation of whatever happened with the Sulaco, So So he's, he's on shore leave, so he gets a job. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, either that or maybe his, maybe his uh, contract was ending just like Hudson's was. When he, when he meets the guy who becomes his boss, he says it's a temporary duty assignment. So he's obviously been told to do this. Huh. Okay. I don't think Gibson thought this through properly. <laughs> well, that's completely done away with in the second draft, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think. Uh, oh, Walker does exist, but he's. Uh, I don't think Hicks ever goes to work for him. I think Walker's just the handyman on the station. Mm. I've just had a flick through back back through the briefing, and no, it doesn't look like it comes up at all. It's just okay. If I, is this? I don't, I don't see the point in this in this scene. <laughs> Walker in general is a little bit pointless in this script. He he has more purpose in the second draft. In this one, he's kind of just another token character. Is there a bit later on where Hicks has to use some automated bollocks? <laughs> there, there are there's a couple of bits where him and Walker go off hunting for some people that have gone missing, potentially turned into aliens. But again, that didn't need to be Walker. They could have got someone else to. Walker did come across as a little bit superfluous in this. So many of these scenes are kind of like that, aren't they, though? Yeah, there are definitely too many characters in this script. And we move on to more political stuff, because Radina's uh, getting in touch. They've decided they want to talk to Anchor Point, and that's where you get a bit of back and forth about um, Bishop, like Xenomorphin was mentioning earlier. So there's a load of like um, diplomatic pissing contests, and eventually they just agree to send send Bishop back. That is essentially the point of that. And then we just move on to Bishop. I think the UPP do it as a gesture of good faith. Yeah. Because obviously they don't... Well, they have an ulterior motive, but um, yeah. They just want to keep them happy, don't they? 
Yeah, I think they're trying to stop because obviously the they they realise that the West have probably twigged that they've got some alien stuff, mm. and I think they're sending Bishop back so that the West doesn't have an excuse to say we're coming over there to get our Bishop. You know, I think it's kind of <laughs> to, to placate them a little bit while they fiddle around with the alien stuff they've got their hands on. Yeah, yeah definitely. Again, more more political manoeuvring, and Bishop comes back. They they fix his legs, don't they? Yeah, with uh, they make their. <laughs> They make a point of um, the material that they fix him with, because obviously it comes up later. Yeah. Polycarbon, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, they make a point of them using subpar materials. Surprise, something is going to happen in regards to that later. <laughs> yeah. And we then move on to Hicks and Tully making friends and realising they've got something in common. And this is when Tully Drunk agrees to talk. Tully. Yeah, Tully agrees to talk to Hicks about. Tully, it. yeah, I think Tully's had a few too many, and he start his tongue starts wagging a little bit. Mm. And he, before he says anything, he realizes what he's getting into, and he kind of arranges to meet Hicks incognito a bit later on, you know, somewhere a bit more private. So that, this is at this point when Hicks gets the notion that there were aliens on the ship and they're following him. Yeah, they may now have them on the station. Following that, we're back to Wells and Rossetti and Trent and all of them talking about Bishop. Now, they specifically mention that there's no traces of alien cellular material on on Bishop, and Bishop himself has requested a bit of a you know a bit a bit of a run over, make sure he hasn't been reprogrammed or there's nothing dodgy with him. That is in itself is in hindsight interesting because we re- I think it was recently that we learned from Lance Henriksen that um I think the Strange Shapes blog, one of those blogs that um, dealt with this, that um he spoke to James Cameron about where if they had like if they'd have done a James Cameron Alien Three where that would have gone and he said he didn't have many details on it except for the fact that Cameron confided in him that he wanted to play around with the idea of Bishop having a schizophrenic personality because Wayland Utani had sort of put some hidden um, directives in him so he would have he Bishop himself wouldn't have known necessarily whether he's like good or evil so to speak and in this script it's got the same kind of hint because he, he i think he says to hicks that well i understand that you know you're going to have trust issues with me because for all you know the upp could have reprogrammed me and hicks says like you know well you know you you've tested yourself haven't you and he's basically saying that yeah but i can't discount it 100 percent. so it's it's interesting that it's dealing with a plot device that James Cameron would have apparently played with if he'd have written that, just completely by coincidence. I don't think I've heard that one. I'll have to have a look over the blogs. On, on its own, I think that's an interesting sort of thing to go with, you know, not knowing mm. if he can trust himself. Yeah. Whereas in here, it's UPP instead of Wayland yeah. Utani, but it's still dealing Same with... theme. It's an interesting concept to play around when you're writing an AI character. And in here... I like how it's written in the Gibson script because Bishop is just being very matter-of-factly about it, which I can totally see Lance Henriksen um, portraying. We also start to get excuses as to why the Anchor Point staff should start playing playing with the alien um, DNA because they uh, Redina's had access to Bishop, so they probably know all about all about the alien. So maybe it's time that these guys start working on their own stuff in case they're working on it. Uh, Rossetti tries to put a stop to it and the uh, Wayland yutani people are like, you know, this is happening. Deal with it. Mm. And this is when I think they mentioned the cancer research stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's their um, their public BS for what they're doing. Cover yeah. story. Mm. 
So Rossetti is like, isn't this a violation of the SAR treaty? And then Fox is like, has anybody mentioned military applications for this? Um, and Trent's, no, I think I think a very nice case can be made for applied exobiology. We do have a standing order to study alien life forms when we encounter them. Preliminary analysis of the material from Salako reveals a remarkable adaptive capacity. The potential for cancer research alone, and then sort of... Which is interesting because in the Aliens Deleted scene, you do have it that Ripley's daughter died of cancer. So it's a nice... I don't know if Gibson would have been aware of that, but in retrospect, that would have been... There's a little irony in there. Mm. And yeah, they're basically telling him that's that's it. He's got no choice. Rosetta's got no choice. The decision's been made. Do what we're telling you to. And the the next the next scenes where sort of Bishop and we get the the polycarbonate set up for when Bishop's Bishop gets damaged later on, basically. Um, but it's just a teeny weeny scene setting that that up, and a quick scene on on Redina showing that they've started growing the alien and what they've got is a uh, tiny thumb-sized embryo because the redina aliens um completely skipped the the egg and face hugger stage they we don't see it now they grow them in situ don't they yeah they, you'd see it later on that they've got a, a chest burster basically uh, being grown in in a tube and hicks meets spence to find out what's happened because apparently tully's uh tully's bottled it yeah he doesn't want to lose his money so Spence fills Hicks in on what's happening. Uh, they're doing experimentation on the DNA. So yeah, they are actually modifying it at this point. Um, we've been running recombinant DNA routines on it using human genetic material. So I suppose they do play with it slightly. Yeah, they hadn't modified it way back when they were doing that exposition mm. scene of, oh, the, the alien, it can completely hybridize. And you're thinking to yourself, but that's not what aliens do. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're finding yet yeah, since then they're modifying it yeah i can't remember if that's tidied up in the other one or not um so yeah the, she's basically just filling in in on what's happening and hicks she mentions that the um the upp oh no does she mention the bishop's back and that it's come from yeah so spence tells hicks yeah that, that bishop's back the upp has sent someone and he sort of assumes that the UPP will probably have access to the alien information and they'll probably grow their own. And there's worry about their technology being outdated. And Spencer's like, they'd never be able to control it. And Hicks's, you think you can? So, you know, just sort of foreshadowing the inevitable uh, catastrophe. In case at any point you were doubting the aliens would escape. <laughs> <laughs> so... Completely tiny little scene between Tully and Jackson showing that they're working on the um, the DNA. And then we jump back to the Redina. I say this is the stuff about the uh, alien being a, an artificial creation, or at least a, an, an artificially modified creation. Uh, so one, one of their characters is saying, um, they're talking about how fast it's growing. And one of their characters is saying it's as though the gene structure has been designed for ease of manipulation. And this was a yeah, all speculation. But yeah, it's it's setting it up, isn't it? It's yeah. It, it seems it's like heavily inferred. It seems like there'd be a lot of time spent in labs in this movie, like both on <laughs> yeah. the Redina and Anchor Point. There's like a lot of scenes in the different labs. I thought. But we we probably yeah. we're in about the second about the second act now, just sort of towards the start of it. 
it's like Alien Resurrection before Ripley. They, you know, before that everything breaks out. In I mean, but in Alien Resurrection, it's like the spaceship looks a bit shitty, even though it's meant to be this radically advanced laboratory. So lab-wise, it's kind of similar in vibe up to that point. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's what I. The Auriga is what I imagined like the Redina looked like. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same thing. A lot a lot of the first half of this script is essentially just setting up political reasons as to why they should do this and what they can do. Justification. Yeah. yeah. They also say in this apparently universal com- um, compatibility with other plasms. And the, the nice bit here is Suzlov saying perhaps this is the fruit of some ancient experiment, a living artifact, the product of genetic engineering, a weapon. Perhaps, perhaps we are looking at the end result of yet another arms race. So again, very on the nose there about what's happening and the themes that are in play here. Although the, that particular phrasing I quite like because it inferred it's like you know all of this has happened and it has happened again sort of thing. It does infer that this is a pattern. We're just like repeating the same pattern much older ancient civilizations might have happened, and it's. Like the alien is a, a washed up fragment of that. Like it's an older Cold War. So it's one of those little Elder you know, God bits type. of dialogue that kind of like it. Yeah, but it makes you think that, yeah, there might have been like an alien version of a Cold War that led to this creature. I quite like the way that this script phrased mm. that. I, I, like, I like this whole sequence here because I've, I've always liked the idea of the alien being like this ancient sort of force. Mm. So that, that suits me fine. And that's when we see the. The chestburster that they've got floating in the tube. Didn't it, don't they describe it as like a blind dolphin? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Close. The stasis tube, a chestburster, is suspended there like an eyeless fetal dolphin. Yeah. And we have a. We move back to Anchor Point where Hicks and Bishop have their reunion. So they're just talking about what's been cracking off. And I think this is when they conspire. Yeah. Isn't that not too unlike you remember in the graphic novel book too and when hicks is being in um you know he's essentially a, a captive of general spears and he he has a similar thing going on there doesn't he with one of the base personnel i forget the guy's name it's his second in command yeah it, it powell that's the guy's name yeah and it's kind of a little bit of a similar vibe to this because he also gets um removed not too long after they him and hicks kind of conspire in that in, in the comic i think he's killed pretty pretty brazenly he has, he has a lot more in the novelization yeah but yeah basically hicks and hicks and bishop agree to um try and um, abort the experiment which then is in the next scene when the whole doesn't bishop happens. say something bishop refers to his programming being about to save all life so it's like he, he describes it as every natural impulse in him is acting as to destroy the alien or is that later on i, I know he does but mention that, something like that there's in this scene he does he does i think the stuff about him protecting all life is in the second draft no there is something in this draft about that I do remember reading it, but I just didn't know if it was at this point or later. But I know it, it, it does come up, and because in Aliens, you're you're basically told, you know, have that scene with Ripley, and says, you know, he has that Asim Asimovian laws where he says, you know, impossible for me to harm or by act of omission not allowed to be harmed a human being. But in this script, you do have like Bishop's insights on how that 
applies to his perspective on life which so it's it's nice it's the difference between you know being told a role and then being shown how that rule applies to those it's affecting it's it's a nice little thing that i think lance henriksen would have had you know some fun actually thinking of ways to how to you know say those lines there's a bit here where he says i'm programmed to protect human life it's my nature um, but mm. I, d- I don't think that really gets into a great deal more at this point to be honest i think that's later on when he talks about how they have to blow the station and possibly kill themselves yeah. but in the process save the large humanity race. yeah and it's not massive but it's a nice little thing for the script to play around with because as i say you previously you're just told that's how synthetics like bishop are but here you're actually showing you know he's actually living by those rules and that's how he's perceiving it so after hicks and bishop decide that they're going to kill every, uh, destroy the experiment we move back. <laughs> kill everyone yeah. just go psycho <laughs> <laughs> we, we move across to the um the culture lab and there's a teeny bit of exposition here about them having some problems with some of the um, equipment and uh, you see a small ovoid of tissue in some of the tubes, which we will eventually find out is a teeny weeny little egg. A little egg. A teeny weeny egg. And Wells shows up, you know, one of the, the uh, Wayland Jutani bioweapon lady. And after some talking about what's happening, stuff goes wrong. Um, the stasis tube begins to hiss, cracks loudly, a hairline fissure emits a super fine spray of fluid it's not explained why though is it it just like it happens well you get a bit of dialogue about um pressure differences in the um in in the material in in the stasis stuff right at the start of the scene where it says they they, um, associated it with a glitch and tech guys just fucked off they didn't want to have to deal with it (laughs) so it's the jurassic park answer I think I think the implication I got is that the alien stuff itself is is somehow trying to bust out of what it's contained in. I think that was I think the implication I got is that it wasn't so much a fault with the equipment; it was something the alien mini egg had done. That's as good as any explanation. I don't think it's really yeah nothing 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 said. I just it that was so the it's implication not, I got. So it's basically it's not really clear, but it, it's possibly it one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So basically, the the tubes sort of blow out, and you end up with these little <laughs> grey pigeon eggs, Kinder of, eggs of alien tissue. And this is when you find out that the anchor point eggs of aliens are different because they open and um, they open, and a, cl- a fist-sized cloud of dark mist comes out. And no face hugger. No face huggers. Stuff's different here. What's this about? It's just like Covenant. <laughs> you know what i think i really want to find out in the behind the scenes stuff mm. just because everything about the neomorph sounds like what we're going to get in here with the new beast well especially as ridley scott was apparently attached to this particular yeah, project yeah. for a little while and we don't know if he read the whole thing or what well according to gibson Ridley, they were definitely talking to him, but when he was in the middle of writing the second draft, Gibson did an interview where he made a comment about Ridley being uh, attached to direct it. So it'd be very interesting to hear if this did play an effort in 
Mm. You know, influencing where Ridley went with it. Otherwise, it's a very big coincidence. Massive coincidence. So, Wells and Tully get infected with these uh, spores. Uh, the, with the Umbrella Corporation. <laughs> T-virus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it basically is. So what happens here? Now Bishop gets there to trash the stuff, not realising he's too late. Yes, because they're going all Mission Impossible, aren't they? And setting up <laughs> feedback loops on um, on the surveillance stuff. And Bishop Bishop presses a very serious looking red switch, which, <laughs> <laughs> which microwaves all the um, genetic material they've got. As opposed to the fun looking comedy switch up to the side. <laughs> oh no, Bishop doesn't press it. He's sort of hovering and Hicks has to come in and go do it yeah is it is it not explained why he hesitates the second draft does and um gibson himself has said that there are some pages missing from this draft ah so i don't know if he added it later or if it's just one of the bits that's not in this right because i think he said that he's he's obviously aware that this is out there and he's him he said that uh it's not complete there are a few pages missing so whether it was something he added or whether it's just gone awol i don't know yeah so basically yeah. look to the second draft for why. Yeah, it, it briefly it basically says that he's programmed to protect all life, not just human life. Which Obviously does he prioritizes human life. Yeah. I think I think the yeah. idea is that he's he knows it needs to be destroyed, but he's also conflicted because he's programmed not to harm any life. Yeah. Which that's that, the basic that does contradict aliens where he only mentions human life. Mm. That's not that massive of a deal though, is it? Well, if he's hesitating to destroy, which he didn't in Aliens, he was just like, yeah, everyone get on with it. He didn't have any active role in sort of killing any of them, though, did he? I mean, we see him dissect the facehugger, but that's presumably already dead. Yeah, but there was that thing with with Ripley was asking him, well, you know, what have you done with the live ones? And he was like, oh, Burke told me to use very specific, which implies like he wouldn't have been particularly bothered about doing it if he hadn't been told to. That's just my thoughts, anyway. I don't know it, 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 it wouldn't it wouldn't have bothered me in the slightest. I would have no. understood the justification for his hesitation. Yeah, I find it an interesting. I just wondered if it was explained why he hesitates in here. But it's it's genuinely interesting to know that Gibson says that some of the pages are missing. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> some great dialogue here after the uh, they've killed the the eggs. There's an alarm and some marines run in, and one of the marines shouts, "Just don't you fucking move, Jack." <laughs> so then Hicks and Bishop are in trouble. No, oh, no, take it to jail. And this is when we get our birth scene, isn't? Yeah, this is the first new yeah. beast. So they're having a big old meeting about um, what's been cracking off, and they sort of Wells is hinting that there's another um, another project, another part of the experiment taking place. I'm assuming uh, anchor point. Yeah. Yeah, she hints that there's stuff on the Solarco going back to Earth. Yeah, she does here. They're on their way to, uh, uh, what is it? In any case, it became obvious that you aren't quite the man for the job. We took the precaution of obtaining our own samples. They're on their way to, they're on their way to Gateway. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if the implication is they've sent them separate or if they've stashed them on the Solarco before they sent it on its way. New is just life's bitch at this point, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> die anyway from the aliens and the next piece of dialogue starts the change in quotation marks so basically wells who'd been infected with the dark mist she's been let out of containment or whatever 
and in the middle of talking she starts to stammer so just read this out here as wells begins to stammer her eyes betray a terrible consternation uh, she half rises from her chair lurches forward catching herself on her hands the phases into a chattering palsy as a thick strand of blood streaked jewel descends towards the table fox seated to her left has instinctively shoved his own chair back and ready to run yeah you better run fox you know she's coming for you as the chittering tooth burr becomes a shrill shriek of inhuman rage, the transformation takes place. Segmented biomechanoid uh, bio tendons squirm beneath the skin of her arms. Her hands claw at one another, tearing redundant tissue from alien talons. Then the streak dies. She straightens up and rips her face apart in a single movement. The glistening claws coming away with skin, eyes, muscle, teeth, splinters of bone and sound of ripping cloth. The new beast shreds its human skin in a single sinuous bloody ripple, molting on the fast forward. So yeah, the thing. The uh... yeah, You'd pretty much the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do we feel? Don't like it. it. More than anything, it just it doesn't make any logical sense. I don't see how that um... enormous long head could somehow <laughs> be hidden inside her up to the moment that she decides to I don't know I know he says that the bone like the 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 the, the skeletal reformation kind of happens you know instantaneously but it just it just doesn't it looks like a balloon he's, he's not, yeah he's, I'm not sold on it <laughs> It does definitely remind, but when I read that description, you know, she's shaking and spasming. It definitely did make me think of that little clip out of the Covenant teaser, because the guy with the... Now, I I mentioned this when we were talking about it. I think I said it, might, it could be that something's coming out of him, but what if it is like his vertebrae is become the creature and his vertebrae is going to tear up? And I thought of this, and I thought, oh, yeah, it... It looks, I could see it happening just like it's being shown in that little mini clip out of Covenant where the guy's just shaking and he's just doing that thing. And it kind of looks like, is it something coming out of him or is it like his body actually changing and ripping out of him? So I definitely was struck. When I read this, because I'm sure I read it years and years ago, but when I read it recently in preparation for this podcast, podcast it, it definitely reminded me of that scene in covenant so yeah i'm definitely struck by the similarities shall we say but I, as i mean as who the fuck was just saying that bloody look banana head assuming it would have been you know a long head and not because it is meant to be a mutant alien i suppose it could have grown up later but you got you know you got that you got the dorsal troop you got the tail I mean, that's way more bigger than the head. I don't think we really get a massive description of it, do we here? Yeah, I, I don't. And unless, like, she opened up, like, a clamshell or something, and it would have been an alien that was smaller than her, and then it would have, you know, its limbs would have extended, and it would have folded out sort of thing. But in terms of that, I, I, I don't know how it would have. They'd have had to be done some serious cutaways, is what I can say. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely. I think the John Carpenter would have had um, grounds to potentially sue them. <laughs> it's definitely or, the thing, like. Or possibly um, 
uh, what's his name? The uh, Cronenberg with the Fly remake. Yeah, the final yeah, transformation yeah. of the Fly is very yeah. similar to that. You know, Gina Davis rips his jaw off, and then it kind of yeah. comes out of him. But yeah. in that, it kind of makes sense because it's still vaguely humanoid. Yeah. Whereas also, in this, it just seems like it's too much of a different shape. Yeah, and and in the fly, it's you know Brun, Brundle, he's having that huge hump back, and it's clear that a lot of there's a lot of stuff causing his his muscles to like you know that there's something under the surface which is clearly bigger than him and as he mm. transforms it's like you know the, the hydraulics open and they tear the flesh it looks like the thing has folded away all that time and he's using the body as a cocoon here the the body shape of an alien compared to the typical human body shape it is too radically different i don't know how they would have done it yeah well no one even notices until it happens so she's obviously not yeah because she's mid conversation so she's obviously not got like a big bulge on the back of no. her skull you know she looks normal until yeah. it happens and you say she was in quarantine and they let her out. I mean, they, they couldn't have done many tests, could they? They do make a point of, I suppose, early on of how fast the sort of assimilation and hybridization happens. So I'd assume that would be the way they'd explain it. I, you know what? I can't remember what I thought of this. That this, you know, the new beast. I kind of feel like I'm trying to make myself like it because I fully expect this is what the Neomorphs are going to be like. But again, if, if the Neomorphs from what I've understood, if they're going to be more gelatinous, I could buy that. But yeah, the alien's octopus, supposed to have an... The alien's basically a crab. You know, it's rock hard on the outside. It's yeah. borderline bulletproof on the outside. So mm. the idea of it suddenly sort of springing into existence out of a... a well, this know, is, I don't think... I don't think it gives a physical description, does it? So no, really. there's room to say if they had filmed this... The director might have gone, okay, we need um, like a, a, an alien to look roughly humanoid. And then, yeah, and then maybe if it showed up later on, it would have shown that it would have grown, uh, you know, tubes and stuff. Whereas when it came out of the body, maybe they're not necessarily, you just see like little vestigial things that will grow in time. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's possible it could have been done, but it does... You know, if nothing, even if they'd have been able to fix the whole body plan discrepancy, it it just struck me as way too much. Like they said, no, I, Gibson's gone like, oh, I can't be bothered with an alien film. Let's just make it a The Thing film. It's it's way too similar to The Thing. It's not it's not like yeah, like in Aliens, that first scene, which is Ripley's dream, and you have that thing where okay, it's a dream. But you have the her chest burst. You, it doesn't even erupt. But that whole horrific tension thing is because it's about to, and it's about to, and it's about. And you have that whole thing where the cat hisses at her. You have that tension ratcheting up. And here it's just like it happens, and it, she crawls out of her skin, and that's it. And it's like um, it's like a jump scare. Yeah, but it's like in the Wishmaster when the it, that that historical flashback in the wishmaster you have like a guy who there's at that party where there's all this magical shit going on and you have a guy's skeleton literally rip out of his body and it it's literally it rips out of his body and then it jumps over to somewhere else and this feels like that it doesn't feel like the kind of techniques you're meant to use in an alien film is basically it, it feels very much like um the problem that the alien writers the alien film seem to have and 
it's of one-upping and doing things different. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I don't know who came up with this idea because Gibson was working off of um, the treatment from from the producers. True. True. Very true. So some somebody's gone. How do we how do we make this significantly different and still sort of body horror-ish? And this is yeah. what they've come up with. Whereas by the third film, as a you know person in the, the production team, they should have gone. Okay, we can't build upon this anymore. Let's try and emulate the things we already have in new and interesting ways. Whereas this isn't emulation. This is just turning it from an alien film to a you know other thing film or Resident Evil. This is not the alien creature as we know it. So. It goes on an attack after this, after she's birthed, pretty much straight away. Immediately kills Fox. So I guess the alien, like, she is becoming the alien. It's a transformation. It's yeah. not the alien is coming out of her. It's she turns she's into, literally turning into the alien. I, d- I don't know, because she does just pause mid-sentence, and then she rips off her, you know, her, her flesh suit, as it were. It could be taken either way. It could be that she is the alien, or it could be something is inside her and takes over. Well, don't um, they call it? It, it says it, it, it takes her jaw and her eyes away and all that, doesn't it? They call In it the, the script, change. they call it, yeah, they call it the change. I think that's the implication, because they make a point of it assimilating other material, other, other genetic materials. I think that's pretty much what we're seeing here. And... Then we find out that Tully's gone missing. You know, the other guy who's been infected. Again, it's very brisk. You know, there's lots of short scenes in this. Um, Hicks is... Um, Rosetti lets Hicks out because um, these aliens are on the loose. And you get this fucking crazy scene coming up in a bit. Basically, they're trying to track Tully. You know, they're tracking his, his um, PDT or his track or whatever. I can't remember what terminology they use. And they find... They find him having already changed. He attacks them and they escape. It's it's him and Walker. It's another another scene for Walker, the token boss. I think he drives the jeep when they go hunting for him, and uh, they both manage to skedaddle out of there before they get killed by the alien. Yeah. So Walker's the mechanic, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, Hicks's boss. So after all that stuff, we move back over to um, Redina, where we find out that something similar's happened over there. Their aliens got loose, and we find I do. I, you know what? It's silly, but any time there's a hive mentioned, I just I like it. It mentions here that the uh, big stasis tube's been shattered, and um, some of the characters we've met earlier have been cocooned into a biomech structure of alien resin. Mm. Ron is dead; his rib cage gaping. So, so obviously the facehug is still in there somehow, but. I don't think there's any real explanation for that at all, so that's a bit... We never see it, no. So that's a bit of a throwaway. And I think basically what we get here is just another quick um, sequence of the various commandos trying to escape the alien that's trying to chase them. So it's just showing us that the same thing's happened over there. Yeah, this is the bit where it talks about how they've diddled with the alien because it's it's described as bigger, meaner, faster, able to reproduce more quickly. So they've obviously been... This obviously would have looked slightly different as well. They've tampered with it. It's not pure. So these aren't these aren't your traditional aliens. These are completely new. Which, again, is not... There's little hints of what eventually became, you know, the engineer's script, apparently may feature in Covenant with the different type so you know as an excuse for me to for changing the design and playing around with it which 
I still I can't decide if I like that or not. You know, I can't. I don't, I think it's it's a good. I think it's if you're going to change the Alien, I think first and for I mean, if as we're doing it now since the Alien Three we got, I've always said, but you, you know, if you want to change it, just have it come out of a you know something other than a human that gives you immediate license to do it without fucking around with the life cycle but here i think because this didn't have that to go on this was going to be alien 3 i think you know if you're going to have a way to do it genetic tampering is as good a way to do it as any it's all in the execution but i think in this one you, you how they've gone about that is a bit messy I, th- I mean, I think there's ways you can add to the alien life cycle. I mean, that's what we cycle. had in, in Alien Resurrection. That's essentially what we had. We had genetically modified alien. The problem then was that they were too fleshy. They should have gone in the other direction, making them look more lethal, more alien-like. And they don't even address that in the narrative of that film, though. No. But, I mean, the, the implication is clearly that because Ripley is part alien, the audience... Mm makes the link that therefore the aliens are more human but i mean as a, what i'm saying is you know we've had that already that precedent has been set we've had that on the screen there's nothing wrong with that as a plot device it's about how the plot device is executed hmm. yeah so after all this we've got two new types of aliens causing chaos for everybody quite predictably of course anchor points trying to raise um they're trying to raise Rodina. Yeah, they are to tell. They, us. Uh, do they not get a message from Rodina, or they, not, they detect not yet. Rodina sending a message? I think that's some point later on in this. Oh no, here it is. Uh, hey, check this. Outgoing traffic. It's Rodina sending, obviously, a distress signal that they to to their own people that they sort of pick up on. Yeah, and they they um, send a space uh, a cruiser, a battle cruiser. Yeah, they, I think they, they call for help, and the implication is that their government just sends a battle cruiser and nukes them. Because mm, that's one way to deal with it. Yeah. And then this is when this is when Bishop brings up the um, the necessity of killing their own um, alien mm. problem. Well, Bishop says, in order to be entirely certain, Colonel, it would be necessary to override the fusion package now to blow up Anchor Point. And Hicks says, I thought you were programmed to protect human life. Bishop with android blandness i'm taking the long view i, I like that I yeah i that was the turn of phrase i was saying i liked in this yeah it encapsulates a lot in few words mm. so basically they just they want they want to blow up anchor point to stop the infection they're going for the predator mentality basically it's not being a sore loser this time though i mean ironically because they mentioned earlier on in the script they're using a cover story of it's going to cure cancer whereas at this point through the viral nature of how they've got the alien going the alien has become the cancer and incredibly easy to uh, to recreate continually mm. and there is a transmission from anchor point here where they sort of this lady's explaining what's happened. You know, she explains they tried to clone the alien and it failed and everything's gone to pot. And she's basically sending out a warning. Uh, you must terminate any experiment with the material now. It is impossible. It cannot be contaminated. And that's that. So, you know, just sort of reinforcing Bishop's point of um, blowing themselves up. And through a few throwaway scenes, a quick scene in the eco module... Another quick scene on Rodina showing um, chaos happening and the commando from before 
nameless commando doing what she can. And this when still he... hasn't got a name. No, still <laughs> no, no, no name, nameless. And then this is when Hicks sends Ripley away, and it basically just lifts a cra- say lifts. He grabs her. Um... <laughs> How does he do it? Does he actually use any? Uh... He wheels her into the escape pod, Danny, on the on like the the hospital gurney. Oh yeah, because she's not in a crowd tube. She's just on. Yeah, she's just in a coma on her bed, isn't she? Yeah, I'm with it. So um, she takes him to. Um, to an EV and shoots her off into space. And that's that. That's Ripley done. One line. Yeah, <laughs> Sigourney Weaver's sole contribution. No. Well, they, they do mention, like, oh, how can you be sure she wasn't infected? And Hicks is like, well, I owe her a shot. I don't care. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so he could have been responsible for humanity's demise. It's all right. She, she's just wow. drifting for another 50 something years if something went wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, just the whole premise of the station, like, like you were saying, it was the thing. There's like this distrust. Distrust. You don't know who's going to change at any moment, and it completely, you know, you can do things with the alien life cycle where you add to it, and it's it's still the same thing, just with different additions, like the queen alien or the warriors or the DNA reflex or even you know the the whole chet thing in avpr sorry to bring that up but that that might have been strange and different but it didn't betray what the alien was you know whereas this is like just this airborne thing that makes people change at any moment and it's like this is just out of nowhere so i don't know it just i'm so glad it wasn't made after reading it well these ones the other the airborne spores they were the result of modification or not i think that's what it implies okay because if, if it's not you'd be wondering why uh, weren't the marines infected the in yeah, yeah. or it, even I mean, the nostromo crew it's still a stretch that the i mean even a bigger stretch than the speculations about the egg on alien 3 on the Salako that we yeah. ended up getting but it's a bigger stretch that the queen injected spores into Bishop's yeah. bits and an egg came out of that. Yeah, and then, and then a few researchers on a space station, two space stations uh, started cloning it. And almost immediately within like what weeks or something, probably not. Even there's, that. there's this viral outbreak and the alien organism is completely different. Uh, it just seems so arbitrary, you know, like, Ooh, this is different and scary, but it's like, it's not alien. And there are also, I mean, actually, there's more than one queen in this. At that point, you have to wonder what's the point of a queen because. Yeah, it's arbitrary. There's just yeah. two big mutant queens for there to be queens and for there to be a cool action scene, and that's it. You might, you might as well just have aliens with those dorsal tubes things on the back just spraying the stuff aerosol fashion. The, the Redina guys make a point of talking about how easy it is to modify this you know, the alien DNA, which is, is what how we end up with all this wacky variants. I'm not going to disagree with you in that this stuff's, all that extra stuff's, you know, very there for the sake of being there. And it is it is excised in, in the second uh, draft. There is no stupid queen shooting spores instead of, um, in, instead well, of eggs. So, you know, they do, <laughs> they do realise um, just how mm. daft it is. And it is incredibly well dialed back, you know, it's it's not over the top like it is in throughout this. It's still the same basic premise, same basic idea of the, of the 
alien DNA being adaptable and reconfigured and reprogrammed, whatever. So, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's A lot of this is insane. It's just <laughs> so over the top. <laughs> but it is dialed back for the next effort. The, the, the second draft is actually a really interesting example of how the basic story is exactly the same, but if everything around it is quite different. Hmm. Like it's 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 quite it's interesting hard. about how how you can tweak a script and change it so much without actually changing the story. Mm. Completely agree. Completely agree with you. Yeah, and again, I I like the the premise. You know, I like the setting. I like the fact that Hicks plays a more prominent role. So it's the movie's problems lie in. You know, like you said, it sounded like the the problems were corrected a lot in the second draft, and I look forward to reading it. I want to check it out. But as it was now, it was just way too over the top. It would have felt it would, would have been ridiculous. Yeah, I think fans would have been way more disappointed. You, even if this was some big budget thing with crazy action, I think most fans would have been more disappointed in this than they were yeah. in what we ended up getting. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. I'm just say you know I'm one of those. I'm not. I don't hate Alien 3, but I've never really been wowed by it. But you look look at this, you read your way through this script, and then you remember how Alien 3 was. And yeah, it has its flaws, but it was certainly a much, at the end of the day, when it was the end result, it was certainly a, a more superior film in many ways, but even just down to like... The lines, the performances, I can't remember much in the way of, you know, I've mentioned some ways of how the script has managed to encapsulate things, but I can't remember any, you know, easily memorable one-liners or anything from this film, um, sorry, this script, as opposed to, you know, there are even points in Alien 3 where, you know, you has a, you know, this is rumour control and all that, and everybody gets it. Uh, there, there's there's nothing like that in here. I'm de- I, the Alien Three we got is definitely superior to this. Uh-huh. And just to be fair to uh, Gibson, you know, just to reiterate that he was writing this on a deadline, and yeah. kind of thing. It's like I said, it's first draft syndrome, isn't it? You just throw yes. it all out there, and it's not refined. And but then again, that that is what later drafts are for. Yeah. That's why you always have to qualify. If this is the moment you say this is a first draft, you go, "Oh, okay then." It's still definitely flawed, so we have to acknowledge the flaws. What some things we have mentioned work nicely, but there is a lot about it. They're like outweighed by the stuff that just doesn't work well or doesn't work at all. In the case of the two aliens that just come out of nowhere at the start, whereas in the second draft we know they're not there, so that's already something that's completely rectified. That just by removing it but yeah a moment you say it's a first draft you go oh okay you can forgive a lot knowing it's a first draft, and especially knowing there are successive drafts you then go oh okay i'm going to check that out you can't judge the writer just on the first draft but you can judge the script as it stood because mm. this is what was handed in at the end of the day i think just a major problem here was i mean you just go to the download section of our site and you look at the amount of alien three scripts there are compared to the first and second film fox was in a hurry to make this movie after the success of the second one and i think they could have benefited from just taking a step back and letting some time go by and making sure that they were developing a story that was 
in line with the quality of the first two. They were trying to do a film for a release date, so right, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they weren't they weren't making a film. They were they were trying to expand their franchise, but at the same time, it, you have to wonder. You know, they killed off Ripley and they essentially killed off the alien too. So that that was kind of a strange conflict to me, like especially with the mm. the earlier advertisements where it's like, oh, this is going to take place on Earth and it's going to be huge and it's going to be crazy. But then they have this small location with a concentrated yeah. group of people and Ripley dies. And I'm like, well, what were you trying to do? You were in a rush to, to kill your franchise, you know, right, riding off the hype of aliens. Um, and I mean, it's well, not it's like very expense. nihilistic, but it's nihilistic in terms of, as you say, the franchise as well. Yeah, and it's not like the expanded universe suddenly died after Alien no. 3, but there was definitely a lull there, whereas it was like, after Aliens, it, it was huge with the comics and, and everything was getting super popular. So I just think they they were very confused as to what they wanted to do, and that confusion came out of trying to make something shortly after Aliens, like you said, a release date. So I think this could have just ultimately benefited from... You know, them just taking a step back and not having a release date for a number of years and letting something naturally come together. But uh, just a little tangent there, but... That's fair enough. Well, I I think Fox will always regard this as one of their cash cows, though. There's no getting away from that at this point. That is how it will always be. Well, we've got to see how well it does now, next. With Covenant. Because I I still think if if Covenant fails, we're going to see a lull in anything film-wise for a while. Did we get to the end of this script? It was like Hicks launched Ripley off and then... So Hicks has launched Ripley off. The Marines are going down to try and finish off. Forget why they're going down there, what they found out. They they notice <laughs> on the security cameras that some of them have... Uh, uh, like their, their vision is obscured and obviously they, they guess that it's the aliens setting up shop. So they uh, they head down there to, to sort them out. And then this is where we find the... Uh, Crazy queen. mutant queen. The central shape is revealed as an enormous mutant queen. The thing is splayed on its back, mortared into the mass with resin. So they're, they're in the hive. resurrection. Yeah, exactly. Uh, its vestigial head towards Hicks and the Marines. Its abdomen is arched like an inverted scorpion tail, tipped with a swollen, semi-translucent sac that ripples and pulses in the glare of Hicks's lamp, a biomechanical birth factory. And... That's a but, nice phrase. <laughs> yeah. So basically, they've turned this whole area into a hive. There's assume, tons of other um, new beasts down there as well. And they get into a massive firefight, and Hicks tries to. I don't know why he'd use a mortar inside a space station. Um, <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> tries, Especially tries to when the, queen. the last film that came before this, Ripley did the same thing with a grenade launcher on a pulse rifle. So he wants to blow up the Queen, and um, it ends up waking it up, and it releases all the mist from its sack into the ventilation system, and basically infects the rest of the, the station. So... The rest of the film pretty much becomes a rush to get to um, get to the escape pods while everybody is slowly being infected around them. Except for them, of course. Yes, oh, of course. <laughs> they have plot armor. I think some of them go, um, from what I remember. Yeah, they they meet up with uh, with some civilians, and uh, I know Rosetti goes along with them, and a few of them get picked off along the way. 
But I mean, why are they not infected if the infection uh, is just plot armor? Because reasons, yeah. They don't even have. Like, you could have said, you know, they, they as soon as they saw it escape, they have to rush for like gas masks or, or something well, like that, and they don't do it. Yeah, to be fair, I think the Marines and Hicks all standing around there. I think they're fine because I think it all gets sucked up into the vent. So I think the idea is it gets spread out to some parts of the station, but not others. And like, because Bishop immediately shuts the fans off. Yeah, it does. But it's already gone in there. So I think that's why certain people are, are turning and others aren't. Mm. Obviously, the everyone watching these geezers running around in the control room, they're just lucky that they're a bit further away from it than... And some of the other people. Yeah, but still, I mean, imagine you are a That's character in that situation. You oh yeah, no, yeah, the, absolutely. You would want some kind of apparatus to seal yourself in anyway, just in case. Yeah. And you know what? We've just had a hive scene on uh, Anchor Point, and we move across to the Redina for uh, another quick scene. And Gibson loves his symmetry in this because he shows us. Um, I, I'm not gonna lie, I would love to have seen this scene, but basically, the nameless uh, commando goes into like the central hub of, of Redina and she sees this massive multi-storied hive. Uh, virtually mm. the station's entire crew, perhaps a hundred people, have been cocooned along the multi-story column, a base relief, bass relief of human bodies and glittering resin. I'd love that. I'd love to have seen that. Mm. I, I, I just love that. I love those, that imagery so much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah... So a lot of what happens on Anchor Point has to happen on Redina and back and forth. Find out that the um, the UPPs going to blow up the uh, the space station, and our commando is trying to get to an escape pod, uh, well an interceptor, whatever, one of the spaceships, and um, the the cruiser nukes the ship, and that's that. We don't, we don't I don't think we find out if uh, she escaped at this point. Oh yeah, we do. No, sorry. Um, so. Uh, Interceptor managed to make it out, and this is when, this is when um, we start to see more of of Anchor Point being infected. So basically, we get a, a little bit of, before we move on to that. We get a little bit of dialogue about. So they talk about treaties and maydays and. Well, they're they're annoyed because the uh, the UPP have used a nuke to destroy Rodina, and nukes are supposed to be yeah outlawed by this treaty. So they're yeah they're a bit they're a bit pissed off about that. Then I think Why would it, Hudson be bragging about nukes if they were outlawed? Uh, yeah, I think I it's don't. just yeah. I think it's just this particular area of space kind but what, of thing. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say in Aliens that Ripley just casually says, you know, nuke the site from orbit, and Hicks is like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> They're <laughs> talking about nuclear weapons themselves have been banned as a whole. That would be a bit. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. Would be, yeah. I mean, clearly, like troop transport. If you've got a troop transport like the Salico, which is, you know, it's only got a small... They're essentially like a recon team on it, and that has nuclear weapons. It's The the take I took on that was that, you know, it's not... They're not... If anything, that kind of regulation has been freed up in the future, not, like, stomped down on. I think the only time they ever really don't talk about it being off-limits is in terms of this specific area and when they cross over into borders and stuff like that. So I think it's all just about you know walking on um, on thin ice in certain circumstances. But that would have been their own territory. If that was the UPP's own station, it would have been in their space, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's not like a demilitarized zone. It's their I own suppose, yeah, research. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you just have to just 
accept yeah. it and go because <laughs> it's not going to make sense otherwise. Mm. Well, after that fiasco, we move on to just showing more of Anchor Point being turned um, turned into a massive hive and loads of people. We get uh, we get Hicks's token boss Walker's death scene. Yeah. He's sitting in the in the bar in the mall having a beer by himself, and uh, alien comes through the window or something, and he uh, he uses one of his remote control power loaders to just pin it to the wall, and while it's standing there thrashing trying to get out, he's just sipping his beer saying, "Yeah, fuck you," and then uh, <laughs> and then he and then he changes, and that's his death. Oh, okay. So he gets vampired. Yeah. Some of the uh, some of the creatures in the eco module do. We see some of that. Some little mutant aliens. Which I suppose that would have been kind of cool, I guess. Just for the variety. Isn't there meant to be a scene in the jungle area where aliens come out of lemurs? Yeah, it's mentioned here. There's a, a, a lemur alien. And, and is that there's... one that's been changed or has it been chestburst? Well, I, I don't know. Is it, uh, it's, it's transformed. It's, who is it? Is it? Is it Spence who's in yeah. here? Yeah. And she says that there are some cocooned in the trees, which presumably have either been face-hugged or chestbursted. But then there's also transformed lemurs so presumably there's both i mean you know, nothing isn't laying any actual eggs is it so i guess everything has got to be changed but, yeah but then why would monkeys be cocooned in the tree well if you yeah. remember that the the biting seems to infect people with chest bursters yeah. so maybe it was I don't know, yeah it, it, it's just another case of, of first draft syndrome but it is interesting that that's, although Ridley Scott mentioned, you know, the possibility of if it had come out Jones the cat, it would have looked different mm. back in Alien. This was the first attempt in an actual script to, like, cement that as canon. Aliens will take on a different, you know, body plan or that. Which I think they also did, I think actually they specifically mentioned lemurs in the Briggs AVP script as um, some that get face hugged and burst, don't they? I'm pretty sure they even mentioned lemurs in that as well. I think you might. I think you might be right. Yeah, mm. it's a subconscious theme of the alien. Yeah, world. lemurs. Oh, they all hate them. Fucking <laughs> monkeys. <laughs> yeah. So we're back to more fanning around about what to do. Oh my god, there's so much fanning around in this. I can't remember what Hicks <laughs> is up to at this point. He's trying to convince them to. Um, he's still trying to convince Rosetti to blow the ship up, and Rosetti's still being. Um, a bit of a wanker about it or is actually i think what's happened here is hicks is the only one who's got out of the fight with the queen in the hive alive and i think he's trying to get back to the others he's, he's with them at the minute is he? so what what is their objection again to not blowing everything up well i don't think they want to die basically yeah but i mean like they could get rescued and then blow the, or they just there's a question about just doing it while they're there i think i think they just want to get it done Okay. Okay. Yeah. So th- that's what couldn't sort of remember. Th- they're arguing about the timing here. So basically, um, Rosetti's like wants to sign the evacuate orders and get everybody to the lifeboats. Yeah. Just although you don't know who's infected at that point, you could just be spreading it. That's that's Hicks's argument, I think. Hmm. And uh, he's basically saying about you know if they they want to wait for a pickup from this ship that's coming to them, which I suppose we we sort of skirted over earlier. They that there's a ship nearby or scheduled to come in something like that and they want to wait for it and then get picked up and then fuck off and blow it up but hicks just wants to do it now before everybody can spread and can transform yes that's the concern they don't want to get any infected people onto the onto the ship 
from what yeah. I remember. And Hicks Hicks is doubly worried that if they all die, the ship will show up and there'll be no one to say, you know, fuck off, don't come near here. And they'll mm-hmm. dock and then it will spread onto the ship and then it can get home. So he's he's more worried about destroying the station yeah. before that can happen. It's a greater good thing again, isn't it? So basically, yeah. they argue, they're arguing over that for about three or four pages. And then we have the random, like, dozen chestbursters coming out of this man for reasons that aren't explained. <laughs> I think that's, that's a uh, an attempt to emphasise the point, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, then it's... Yeah, they, they basically decide that's what they're going to do. Bishop gets sent off to um, rig the reactor to blow up because he has to do it from down there. Because there's some damage sustained while they were um, kicking it off with the Queen. Yep, and um, they have like a little little uh, Bishop and Hicks have like a little moment where he's saying, "No, just don't don't gears that long. Just make sure it blows up. I don't, I don't care." Yeah, Bishop says, I'll, "I'll try and give you an hour for us to get off," and Hicks is like, "You know, don't worry about that. Just make sure it goes off." Uh, and this is when we meet up with some random dudes who <laughs> we get two names and, and one just generic guy. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout this whole script, Gibson's just like, fuck character development. Just bringing someone new every time. And so they, they, it's just it's just an escape thing from this point on, really, isn't it? Um, we get another Run, queen. Running for the boats. Yeah. We get another queen in the mall who is... Um, is she laying eggs or is she... No, she attacks Bishop. It's just a random queen in the middle of the so mall. So she hasn't actually got an egg sack. She's just a queen that's just, like, got no there. birth. Yeah. And she, she's it's not even the queen from before. The other one is actually described as a quote mutant queen, and this is like the it's normal queen. queen, except it hasn't developed an egg sac, so it's just it's just trundling around <laughs> looking for a fight. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's literally what she does. She just chases Bishop <laughs> into the. That's all she's um, there for. Yeah. So Bishop has to try and climb down, having escaped the queen. Everybody else is running for um for the life pods. And it's just it's a lot of back and forth between that those kind of sequences, you know, Hicks, um, Bishop climbing down, Hicks trying to Hicks and Co trying to get away. Well, there's that little moment where they uh, come around a corner and the aliens are blocked off the tunnel, and uh, Rosetti makes the point that the aliens are stopping them escaping. Mm. See that that would have been another sort of visual I'd have quite liked actually. You know what I really miss in the later films that they don't really use a lot of the hive. Hive imagery, you know, the, the 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 stuff in Resurrection doesn't look anything like how the hive is in Aliens. Well, I think Although, again, that's the in... point of them not being proper aliens. Mm. Yeah, I think that was Although, why the but, hive. Looked... I mean, when we talked about Requiem, one of the things we all did bring up was say what you want about the rest of it, but the actual hive material in the hospital scene that was beautifully designed yeah, that yeah. that looked just like it did in aliens because i think it, they were the same people who'd sculpted it as well but that look, was the first time we'd seen in a long time where it looked just like it did in aliens even in avp it still looked in the first one it, it still looked nice yeah yeah it did actually but i think there are like some more shots of it or something in it yeah, I, I, I do I remember think you see more of it in record point of it yeah it Which really did nice. look nice there. So pretty much any time any sort of hived up scene comes up, I'm going to be like, oh. <laughs> Whereas Resurrection, that was the one film, it didn't look like hive material, but they actually had 
a scene where like it, it focused on the main character where Ripley was like, I don't know, semi making love to it. And it had alien tails coming out of it. And she just went into this, like the arsehole of the nest. And she just <laughs> I, I don't even know what that was meant to be. If that was just like no. a big pile well, of aliens. Call, or yeah. They called it the Viper's nest, but it's clearly, they're not tails which are attached to aliens, but they've got all these tails and they're not attached to aliens. They're actually part of the hive stuff itself it's meant to be the hive is alive but uh, yeah that's the it's weird i don't know what was going on but it was it, it was the one time they actually did something with the resin itself they tried to emphasize it's 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 just like a a creature in its own right and it giga himself didn't <laughs> i think he, he called that or the queen he said it just looks like brown shit <laughs> so he wasn't very happy with it. <laughs> so after this, after they reroute themselves after they've been blocked off, and we get more corridor running, more alien resurrection stuff, and they end up in um, just some like sort of farming facilities, aquacultural farm. Do we end up? Do we end up with alien fish here? I can't remember. No, but we get alien cabbages in a minute. Oh yeah, vegetation. Yeah. <laughs> This is like this is the Gremlins two of the Alien saga. <laughs> <laughs> so they meet they meet up with Spence in the Aeroponics Bay. And where's the, where's the alien cabbage? Here we go. <laughs> two of the styrofoam structures have been overgrown with a greyish parody of vegetation, glistening vine like structures and bulbous sacks that echo the alien bio biomech motif. Just patches of thick black mould spread to the styrofoam and the white deck. Yeah, it's basically it's somehow taken over the plant life. And then Hicks says it was cabbages or something, and it's obviously <laughs> been assimilated by the alien uh, whatever this stuff is. Mm. See if they'd have, if he'd have been clever, um, especially with that physical description of it, they they could have made some kind of um, y- you know a quotation or something to do with the War of the Worlds because that's basically sounds like a grey version of the Red Weed. Those of you who um, mm. you know seen the more recent film or or read the original novel because that that there's a definite parallel there with the Red Weed. But it sounds like he was just like he wanted to do alien cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> It's just another one of those throwaway sort of moments, isn't it, where it's like, look what our <laughs> alien stuff can do now. Yes, yeah, again, it's the alien taking over. But why would it take over cabbage? What's its, <laughs> what's its end game with that? Well, if, if it's spores, they're trying to say it infects anything that's alive, I guess. But I guess, yeah. It is a weird take on it or i mean if you wanted to be really cynical you could say maybe someone has told gibson look we want to make as many toys and model kits as possible just <laughs> yeah it's a kenner conspiracy yeah go the crazy the kenner cabbage yeah uh, you could you know in your heart of hearts you could imagine them making this kenner <laughs> <laughs> you know they would have done it but yeah it's if you want to be cynical it's possible somebody basically said to him look as wherever you can find an opportunity make something that we could make a toy out of or something <laughs> brandywine instructions yeah oh so after that fun bishop's trying to blow up the ship isn't at uh, the station isn't he yeah he's, so he's down there talking to the computer and apparently he knows uh, wells's authorization codes to to blow up the, the station yeah it's never explained how he knows her password he just has to blink 
<laughs> so it's not a massively interesting sequence here, is it? So it's doing all that bollocks and eventually convinces the station that it should blow up. So presumably he heads out at that point and we scoot back to... The others and Spence has a moment of rare character development. Mm. <laughs> it's ironic that he's left it this late in the script to start developing one of its main characters because I think this is the first time we've actually had any insight into her. Mm. Yeah, just finding out a little bit about her place on the station. I don't think we've really had anything about any of the others at all at this point. See, that's why I said I didn't really have any emotional you know response or i because i couldn't get invested in them because there wasn't really anything there except for i would have said except for a name but in many cases they didn't even have names mm. <laughs> uh, i suppose this is actually quite an interesting moment they come across a nursery that's abandoned and um is there something about blood here as well at some point i don't think i think they just look in mm. And yeah, this, this was quite dark actually. Hmm. It's just like the, the toys scattered all over the floor, and uh, yeah, that was quite. Yeah, that, that could have been a, an interesting scene. Babies turning into aliens. <laughs> Thankfully, it doesn't go for the full no. requiem. But, yeah, uh, but you just... you know that that's implied. If they're not laying eggs, it's basically babies that are turned into aliens. <laughs> well, there's there's nothing wrong. <laughs> so with you're going to have little toddler aliens wandering around. But it doesn't go that far, and I think it's it's the implied nature of that scene that makes it quite mm. a nice little moment. Mm. You know, he's not crossing any bridges. Um, so after that, Bishop's making uh, the climb back up, and it's when we have the moment with his leg. Basically, it breaks while he's climbing, and his leg goes through his skin, and Bishop makes that cold observation about it being made of polycarbon. That's mm. his shitty... Chinese prosthetic he's been given from the UPP. But is is that that's that's not the end of it, isn't it? it no, never it's just, even... <laughs> it doesn't end like that. Well, no, no, I mean, I can't remember there being any more point to his knee breaking. No, there, there isn't. Going to deal with the station in the sequel. <laughs> that's the last line of the film. It's just Bishop shaking his head and going, "Ah." Oh, polycarbon cut to credits <laughs> uh, really, I, don't, I don't think it really even hampers him does it because he still ends no, up meeting I mean. up with everybody think... there's no point to it like, it happens but it never it, he still gets around Like, it doesn't, like I, I could be wrong but I can't remember it having any purpose for the rest it's a bit like in Red Script where that guy has the mechanical arm that's then forgotten about for yeah. the entire <laughs> script so I can't remember if anything interesting really happens up until the end. We get uh, the Japanese guy gets bitten on the ankle and then all the chestbursters come erupting out of him. It really is just the T-virus. Before <laughs> Resident Evil was even existing as a series. So that that's pretty much... It's just, it's just more corridors and hallways until that sort of happens. Yeah, a few alien attacks and then we get one of them bites her. Uh, it's a chunk out of his leg so they then, his car hmm. so they then make it to the lifeboat bay which is i think i think that's when he bursts isn't it yes i think so so they, 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 they're nearly there they're nearly there and rosetti rosetti legs it doesn't he? he tries to leave them all behind i can't actually remember oh wait no he's, he's just going on uh, okay and then they're accusing him of letting the experiments take place 
and he's he's trying to get into a spacesuit. I know that Rosetti turns because that was quite a nice visual. He 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 undergoes the change whilst inside a spacesuit, mm. and that was quite a nice uh, visual as his like his faceplate just fills up with blood as he tears himself to pieces inside it. I thought that was quite a cool. Uh, could have been a cool visual. Yeah, I, I think that would have been great. Were, were they outside at this point? Were they actually in... They're preparing to go oh, outside, right. I think. Um, I can't quite remember why they go outside. But they're all they're all sort of getting suited up and uh, they're sitting in the airlock waiting for it to cycle. And then Rosé kind of does Isn't its it because change. the lifeboat um, bay they were going towards was full of aliens or something? So I think it's trying... because of uh, Matey with all of the nibble induced chest bursters i think they erupt <laughs> out and they decide that they're getting the hell out of dodge at this point so they jump in the lock and uh yeah yeah they get, try to go to another lock along the outside don't they so oh wait i've just sort of skipped towards 98 still further down uh, okay yeah so rosette is transforming he has a moment of guilt just before he uh before he turns mm. it's a real shame some of these Drafts don't get visualised uh, with concept art because there's so much in here. I'd love to just see. There in it. are some fan-made um, storyboard art things around, but I don't know if they've they've. Um, yeah, they're on the far. they're on the strange shapes uh, article on the on the script. I'm sure they are. There's some because I thought they were official at first, but apparently no, they're just fan-made. I know. Um, I know Vincent Ward ended up getting his script done as like a sort of webcomic didn't he that they put on his his website yeah mm. yeah i think that used mm. the concept art See, that that did actually get um quite a bit of conceptualization mm. uh, supposedly they started building sets for it yeah true yeah because they reused them in the end for um for the actual film mm. so everybody's outside now and aliens are attacking them and hicks is running out of ammo and has Bishop come along yet? Yeah, they've joined back up. He's Bishop. firing at them as well, isn't he? Uh... See, uh, th- this scene actually, apart from the fact there are like millions of aliens in it, the idea of them being outside the station trying to fight them off, that could be a really good sequence right. if they just toned it down slightly. Ironically, he ends up in the second draft completely cutting this all together. I suspect probably for budget reasons. Yeah, can you imagine how expensive this? Yeah, because none of this happens. Mm. But just as an idea, I think that'd be really, really neat. Just seeing them on the hull trying to fight off these aliens in zero gravity, and the idea of maybe the aliens were so much more adept in zero gravity that they just couldn't get a bead on them. Mm. Like, well, I think that could be a really tense sequence. It's something you, and it's something I've wanted to see in an alien film for a while. Same. And we, we eventually, we did get to see it in a scene, not the end, so it's not spoiling it for anyone, but there is a scene in Alien Isolation where we essentially get to see something very, it's basically that kind of concept, not with mm. millions of aliens, but, and that made it, it worked really well there. So that's one of the things I'm hoping to see in Covenant because we are seeing hints of characters in spacesuits so fingers crossed is is the one thing i'm desperate to see in one of these films is just see the creatures in zero g i mean it's half the reason i'm so uh, eager to finally find the second draft of peter yeah, briggs as AVP, AVP, yeah. that whole zero gravity fight well, I, I liked it in the way they did it in isolation because it was like it was 
in a vacuum and the character the main character is in a suit but the aliens aren't fast it's like to them any environment they're just as in ho- as at home in which it tailed nicely because when you watch alien the original thing it's been hit by the harpoon but it's like as soon as that's over it's just trying to leisurely crawl its way back inside the narcissus mm. and it it fitted really well by just having them not not fussed as all whether there's an air whether there's not which also goes you look at alien resurrection and they're just as home in just as at home in the water mm. i think that's what works really well about the alien is in terms of you know if you've got ranged weapons you can defeat them but environmentally they can stand up to a hell of a lot more than you can even in a, an environmental suit yeah makes them really really threatening an extra layer yeah well it's it that's their strength adaptation mm, agreed agreed so they're out on the hall there's aliens everywhere it's about to hit countdown and nothing happens so Hicks is kind of like, what? What? But he just takes it in his stride and keeps it moving. That's a great Michael Bean impression. <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't Bishop explain that he's given him a bit more time? It does later. Uh, Hicks doesn't know okay. at this point. Yeah. See, Hicks is waiting for the moment, and it doesn't happen. And then it's like, oh, just just keep moving. We're not done yet. I thought we were, but we're not. So it's, a, it's actually quite a lot of. Quite a lot of uh, footage outside on on the hall at this point, so this must have this would have cost a fortune. Mm. And they eventually get to the other the other lifeboat, but if I remember rightly, there's an alien inside of it, isn't there? Uh, I don't know if there's one inside, or if before they can get in, they get swarmed by them coming across the hull. Yes, yes. Yeah, is. Spence is trying to hotwire the door. And then they uh, it's just a big swarm of aliens crawling across the hull of the space station coming at them. And uh, Rosetti shows up as well and gets into a fight with them. Hicks blasts him, I think. I think it's Bishop. Ah, uh, yes, Bishop shows up and saves the day. Lance Henriksen would have had a time of his life in this film. Mm. <laughs> and then this is when Hicks sort of asks Bishop what's happening. And um, Bishop just explains to give him an extra half hour. Because, you know, humans are slow. <laughs> and of course the legs get brought up again. Spence asks him what happened. Bishop says molecular fatigue. I like that. And doesn't don't we get to another point where it starts to look all hopeless again? Yeah, they they get they're all running out of ammo and they crawl out onto the end of a radio mast because it's the only place that they have yeah. left to go. And the aliens are coming at them and they're all thinking, well, this is it. And then <gasps> nameless UPP lady shows up in her interception. <laughs> She saves the name. day. Yeah, she saves the day and she still does. She gets rewarded with a name in the next draft. God, what more do you want? <laughs> does she? I don't remember that. I don't remember yeah. giving her a name. I'm pretty sure. Hang on, hang on. I need to know now. I need to know. <laughs> okay, so Kurtz is the Chang. Oh, come on. How uninspired is that? I was going to say, <laughs> is it something stereotypically <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is so boring. Also, Chang isn't a Vietnamese name, is it? I'm not sure, but you bring up a valid point. It just makes me think of community. <laughs> I think Chang's more Chinese than Vietnamese. Yeah. I could be wrong. Because people say, oh, well, it's Asian, but you know, you have Vietnamese, Korean, yeah. Japanese, Chinese. It is a lot. Are you Googling? Is I'm, I'm Googling it now. 
it's Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he should see. He could have actually put a Chinese commander, but he went to the point of saying Vietnamese. At least she gets a name this time around. Because China, you know, even today it's, it's a communist regime, so it would have been completely valid to have her as a, you know, a Chinese member of that kind of faction. Yeah, it is a bit lazy into that. Oh well. She strolls up in her interceptor though and saves the day. And then dies. She didn't die. She doesn't yeah. die, but she is dying. Yeah, yeah. Because of radiation <laughs> poisoning. So it's like someone could have looked at this when they got the previews for it and said, oh, this is a very progressive film. They've got, like, you know, ethnic minorities in it. <laughs> she, she doesn't even get a chance for a sequel, even though she saved them. And her few bits of dialogue is, you, you come. Yeah. <laughs> She's a Terminator, basically. So basically, and, and we just get a few bits of them trying to get onto the um, onto the shuttle, the interceptor, and more aliens blowing up. Hicks kills the queen before they go, don't they? Uh, he nails her. He nails her with a grenade launcher. Or is it Bishop? Someone nails her with a grenade launcher. Another queen. I think it's the same one that came after Bishop, Bishop in the, yeah. uh, earlier on. For a film where they don't lay eggs, this has gone. On. <laughs> and there's queen. some. Some nice imagery of the aliens sort of launching themselves in zero gravity from the mast. You know, just sailing Whee! through. Exactly. <laughs> I do like the scene that comes up. I, I think, yeah, you have the fusion reactor that detonates and then they're like in the pod. And I, the one of the little few instances where I read this script, I thought, oh, that was a nice touch. You have like Bishop, he's wearing this um, watch and then it like it beeps a little alarm come goes off on it mm. and hicks said to him well how to bishop well how do you know we weren't infected and he basically said you know i, I checked and all that and he said oh yeah but you that's it, it he t- kicks twigs and he goes that's what you know that's Your what has got twigged for, you. yeah, yeah. Uh, and he realizes that the bishop has set his watch for the incubation period he knew that if they'd been in- infected that would have been the moment they'd have changed. So it's a, that was a nice little moment. But then again, it's, it's one of those arbitrary things where they all seem to change at different times. Yeah. Well, I, 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 think, I don't think he says that's when they would have changed. I think he means they would have changed by then. By yeah, them. by yeah, then. So like but that, that was happened. his, you know, yeah. his limit, yeah. If, if, they, if they're still all right now, then they're fine. Yeah. But it was, I, I actually like... It was a little tiny thing, but I like that because it was one of those little moments. Oh, and then this is where we get all that fluffy stuff at the end about Bishop going on about how Earth humanity should be yeah. united against a common enemy. And it's basically this last page and a bit is set up for Alien 4 about finding the, the alien home world. Yeah. Which makes no sense because he's basically saying we've got to fight back against the alien because otherwise they're going to kill us. But all you have to do is just, you know, leave the alien alone because the aliens aren't going to come to you. So it's no... Abbe, don't, don't forget just... that Fox and Wells have sensed to get away. That's what they're talking about. Mm. Is Bishop because, aware of that? Uh, I, I don't... That's actually a good question, but that was how I... What I took it to mean is that they're aware that stuff is heading for Earth and they really need to this. 
just remember that thing where he said, you know, we're united against a common enemy. Rah, rah, rah. That came across as a bit too cheerleady. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it came across easy. as the exact opposite to how you expect and characters in an alien to talk. So, based after all that sort of talking together about killing the alien and making friends with the UPP, we get this other ship that they were worried about showing up. The USS Kansas City. Mm. Just shows up and uh, rescues, rescues the ship, and that's it. The end. Yeah, yeah. Yay. And, and that's yeah, that. That's that. So set up for the sequel, and we're done. So I, do, I don't think my opinion changes on it. It's still, still the same. You know, it, it, there was a lot of lot of ideas in there. It was very busy. It was just throw ideas at a page and see what sticks. You know what it felt like going through it with you guys. The, the, it felt like if. In the 80s, they'd have done an Aliens cartoon. That's how it would have gone. <laughs> That's a 1980s cartoon script. Mm. It's just it's over the top, isn't it? It's literally anything they could think of. They just plumped it on there and we'll sort it out later. The, mm. ca- the same kind of over the top stuff that they would have filled up, you know, a cartoon with, like you say. Yeah. But, you know, as it, as it stands, as it is, I do think it is one of the poorer scripts. But as... Huda and I have continually mentioned throughout this, the second draft is significantly better and would have made, I think, would have made a, a good film. Would have made an interesting film. Hmm. As it stands, I don't think the Gibson, the first draft is. I think we dodged a bullet with that one. And I'm pretty sure you guys would agree with me on that. Definitely. Well, it's not as bad as the Rodriguez Predator Project one, which um, was just laughable. But yeah, it's not it's, even the it, worst Alien Three script because Eric Reds is just so uh, much worse. I think, I think Reds <laughs> is on par with Rodriguez's script, to be honest. I think I might even think I think I might even think Rodriguez is better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I can. Oh yeah, it's just, it's, you know, different different shades of terrible. But I think <laughs> there is more that I like in Rodriguez's script, where Eric Reds is literally just wall to wall shite. It's just it's just terrible. Cannot disagree with you there at all. <laughs> Ridiculous. But I think I think we've pretty much covered everything, haven't we? Yeah. I think basically, the, if you want to feel good about the f- wanting to watch the film Alien Three again, and in, as opposed to what we could have got, I think. But as I think I said earlier, that once I'd read my way through this, I just thought, oh yeah, I've got. Yeah, it doesn't change my opinion about Alien Three, but you 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 look back to Alien 3 with a renewed sense of nostalgia because it definitely, certainly in terms of the um, performances, it was much superior to this. Mm, Definitely, definitely. Complete appreciation for, new appreciation for Alien 3 the first time I read through these scripts. I couldn't couldn't believe what we could have had. So relieved. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I, I, I still think, I'm still aware of 3's mess, but it just makes it easier to appreciate. It could what have been worse. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the same thing with AVPR. Uh, with that, I mean, yeah, you know, everyone yeah. hated it, but you look at the original script, and yeah, it could have been a lot worse. Mm. I really Definitely. need to read that. Oh man, it is fucking awful. 
<laughs> That'll be a fun episode eventually, actually. We'll have to do a round table reading of that script at some point. <laughs> oh, I'm looking that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm totally down for that one. Right. Well, any any other last words or are we uh calling this one? No, I think we've uh, I think we've covered it. Yeah, covered all the bases. Right, um, so now for the horribly awkward closing moments that I hate because I can't start and I can't finish. But yeah, so you know, if if you've got any comments you want to share on uh, on Gibson's scripts, either of them, I guess you know, feel free to let us know. I'm sure you will. Things are gonna get pretty busy for Covenant soon, and the Predator starts filming in a couple of days as of recording, so that should uh, start kicking in soon as well. So, you know, make sure you stick to the website, make sure you stick to the Facebook page and Twitter and keep a close eye on what's coming out. And of course, you know, join the forums, join them in with the chat. And who did you want to uh, do the arbit, you know, the uh, obligatory plug? The, the mandatory selling myself. Yeah, um, <laughs> that didn't sound right. Um, <laughs> if, if you do have any interest in uh, reading up on some of these unmade Alien 3 scripts or indeed anything else to do with alien and predator then feel free to swing by xenopedia and have a read of what we have we, we do have articles for all of these unmade alien 3 films so if you have any interest in finding out more about them uh, check those out cool so let's uh, let's just sign off this is corporal hicks and rich top xenomorph and who the fuck am i signing off <laughs>